0: The OCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host... Patty Daly.
1: Well, all right, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly today. He's a little under the weather today, I believe. So, uh, Patty, do take care, and we hope to hear back from you tomorrow. Well, to uh, borrow a line from uh, Johnny Nash, I can breathe clearly now. The masks are gone. <laughs> Mandatory masking no longer required in healthcare facilities, and I say that like I think that's a wonderful thing. But uh, actually, I've still been maintaining wearing my mask in public. Places for the last little while. So I'm one of those people that you see wearing the mask. I have uh, uh, some breathing things going on, so I'd rather be protected. But lately I've noticed I'm starting to ease off a little bit. It's summer and windows are opening, or it's supposed to be summer, it's supposed to be spring. Uh, Weather is warming up and you start to feel a little bit looser. Now, uh, COVID is still out there. COVID is still circulating. Uh, COVID is still making people sick but it's not the same virus that we had three years ago. It has evolved, it has changed, it's continuing to change rapidly, and it's becoming less, uh, more contagious, but less um, virulent because the virus, like all things, wants to survive. And uh, you can't do that if you kill your host. So, there you have it. Uh, Masks are no longer required now in healthcare facilities starting today. That doesn't mean that you will no longer be wearing a mask in a healthcare facility. That's up to you now. It's entirely up to you whether you wear your mask in a healthcare facility or if you don't. And they will still be strongly uh, encouraging people who have symptoms, coughing and sneezing and runny nose and all of those kinds of things to wear a mask So I think that we're always going to have this sense among people of this um, sense of propriety, I guess. It's become kind of a. uh, um, Oh, there's a word I'm looking for. But anyway, uh, you know, if if you want to uh, appear polite in public uh, and you have symptoms, you might wear a mask to make other people more comfortable. Um, So. Apparently, the mask will still be available if you want to wear one in a healthcare facility. If you want to wear one from the street that you have in your pocket, whatever the case may be, I would say you probably be allowed to wear that. And healthcare providers are still being healthcare staff are still being encouraged strongly to wear their masks. So it'll be up to you now whether you wear a mask when you're going for that X-ray or appointment. Entirely up to you. You won't be made to wear one anymore. Um, what are your thoughts on that? It's just another sign that, as I indicated before, that uh, the virus is changing, and I would imagine that things will change again if this virus tends to do something really strange. If you know what I'm saying. But if you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Childcare continues to be a source of great stress for parents of young children, despite uh, all the movements towards uh, some significant changes in affordability and accessibility. But those changes take time. We heard from Jessie Buzan this morning on the uh, Your VOCM Mornings with uh, Jerry Lynn and Ben. Uh, she's with the Facebook group, Advocates for Building Childcare Capacity and support ECEs and uh, she says she's lost count of the number of wait lists her three-year-old daughter is on and even today she's relying on a mishmash of childcare options for her daughter. $10 a day childcare is a great concept. It makes childcare more affordable, keeps women in the workforce, uh, keeps two parents working because as you know, if you're in a two-parent household, Expenses don't go down, they're always going up. So in some cases you have to have that second income coming in, absolutely. That's the kind of world we're living in. And uh, it doesn't make much sense if one of those I- one of those salaries goes towards childcare. What are you working for? I've often heard a lot of parents say that. What am I working for? Uh, especially if you've got more than one child in childcare. So that keeps families smaller. And we've been talking a lot about our demographics here, how the birth rate is just uh, plummeting. Um, and we're relying on immigration to help bolster those numbers. But even so, if you bring newcomers into Newfoundland and Labrador and they have nowhere, to, they can't get their children in child care, guess what's going to happen? They're going to change, too. They're going to say, I'm uh-uh, only going to have one or I'm going to delay uh, having uh, any children. And then, you know, we're back to square one, we'll say. But the, now the ch- $10 child care option is there uh they're working on building capacity i think some of the first graduates from the ece uh, programs uh, do any day now but all of these things take time and uh, families still having difficulty getting uh, childcare for their children. I'd like to hear from some of those people and see what they think and how they're coping. In the meantime, by all means, do give us a call. Well, you know what? We're already starting uh, with a few calls here today. So I'm going to uh, set aside some of my thoughts and we're gonna go straight to uh, the lines. We're gonna start with Greg. You're on the air. Hi,
2: Greg. Hello. How are you? Not bad, not bad. What's on your mind? Uh, I got a car, a car on recall. Okay. And they're not making no parts. They're, they're not making get, any parts or it, it's... They're not, they're, they're, uh, when, they're, this is 15 months ago. This was in February the 22.
1: 15 months. Yeah. Are you able to drive your car in the meantime? No, I can't.
2: She's at the garage, and I can't get her until the fix. And what's the problem with her? Transmission. Oh. I put in, I had the car a week before that in the garage. I paid $346, and, and, uh, and they put a part into it. And now I was told back then that that part will have to be replaced. And I'm being phoned in the warranty. I never phoned the company, but I phoned the warranties. And uh, there's no parts being made. That's all I can get out of them. And uh, car I had hundred roughly a hundred and thirty three thousand on it. And the warranty was ten years two hundred and forty thousand.
1: And you're without a vehicle?
2: Uh not really. I got myself in over thirty thousand dollars in the hole again. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. Because uh, they, they can't fix my car and, they, and the thing on the parking lot in Cornerbrook and I'm roughly 200 kilometers away from it. Oh,
1: wow. So what are you and doing to
2: get around? What? What are you doing to get around? I, got, I, I went and bought another car. I had to. Oh, wow. I and your car is still sitting on the
1: lot waiting for parts?
2: Uh, no, they, no parts being made. That's the point.
1: No parts are being made for your vehicle? Is it a very oh. old vehicle? What? It is it a very
2: old vehicle? It was brand new when I bought it in two thousand and sixteen. Uh, right. There was two hundred kilometers on it. it. Was on the parking lot a year before I bought it. Wow, uh, you're paid, not the I first. I paid over twenty thousand for the car, and then uh, I had and when I got this uh, this trouble, then I had to go and get another car because I got a young fella with ADHD. And with, uh, with appointments, and I myself got cancer, and I got appointments. I had no other choice but buy another car. They won't fix it, and I don't. Uh, and no good phone to warn you about it because uh, they won't talk. They got no parts.
1: And are you still making payments on that vehicle? What? Huh? Are you still making payments on that no, vehicle?
2: No, the vehicle paid off. The vehicle's paid
1: off. Um, you're not the first I've heard from uh, on this kind of matter. I was talking to a young man up in uh, Lab City. No, he's in Churchill Falls, I believe. I was speaking to him some time ago, and he was telling me he's got a relatively new pickup sitting on the
2: lot in Lab City, waiting on parts for over a year. Oh, so uh, yeah, uh, uh, this, co- this company, they got a lot of problems. I, I was told by father got a vehicle, he got to take his uh, vehicle to a garage every so, so many climbers to get the oil check because uh, it's going through oil. Same company. They put oil in the car for him. And, or changed the oil, and then that's, that, that, that's what they're doing for him. And so,
1: so why aren't they making the parts anymore? Were you given any explanation for that?
2: No, no, no. There are no parts being made. ridiculous Greg
1: I'm glad you raised this because I suspect there are a lot
2: more out there like you Oh there is, there is, I see someone there that a little while ago on Facebook, I'm not on Facebook myself but I, the way I go in on it he, he had trouble with the same, same dealers, uh, uh, same mega car, uh, same brand or whatever and he didn't want to spend no more money into it, I think it was 2014 or something and, uh, and uh, and he just wanted to get rid of it. Yeah, and it was the same kind of trouble I had in my mind. This car, I understand this car that I had would die on the pavement. It, the way it acted like she'd run of gas and a low speed. When I put her in that grade first, the ones that were doing the parts, I had to take my car to Cornerbrook. Uh, he told me it worked good. He had it on the highway. I told him, take it downtown. In town, it's where you're going to have trouble with these kind of cars at low speed. I'm not a mechanic, but I the way with, with cars acting. No, well, you you drove it all the time, so
1: you know. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, So yeah, of course, that's a problem, isn't it? Well, yeah. You can't have a vehicle that's unreliable or even dangerous to drive.
2: Yeah. But uh, they're still they're still making cars and everything, and they still got problems. Right. And they not and they can't fix them. Well, Greg, I
1: appreciate your call this morning. I'd like to hear if others have uh, encountered similar problems with uh, trying to get parts for their vehicles.
2: Oh, ridiculous. But then when you got take it to, I I can go and get my car the parking lot, but I need to tow truck take it because I'm I'm not allowed to drive it. Right. And what's the point with that? That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. See?
1: All right. I appreciate this, Greg. Thank you very much.
2: Uh, you were ta- talking about child protection, you're right. No, I wasn't talking child uh, protection. protection, I was talking child care, yeah. Child care. Yeah. You wouldn't believe what happened to me with Western Health. What's that then? Huh? What's that? I know I can't say it over the line because what happened to me, I even went to the RCMP and he couldn't help me. They told me to go back to Western Health. I faxed uh, 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 the social worker and I faxed another person about the problem. And the Minister Help Health, Minister of Education, them fellas, they don't do nothing about it anyway because my young fellas have ADHD and they only want them, them kind of people to sit in the corner. They don't want them to help you. I don't get no help from Western Health anymore because what happened? If you want to know, you give me a fax number and I'm faxing what happened to me and, and then you will know if you're allowed to talk about it over the line.
1: Well, Greg, if you want to email, you can do that. I can't
2: email. Oh, I see. No. No. It's ridiculous. See? Ridiculous. Same with Department of Education and Department of Health. Uh, The problems I got with Department of Health and Department of Education is worse than what the problem I got with my car. All
1: right. Greg, I I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Let us know how you make out. Okay. Okay. Uh, bye. Oh, bye. Uh, Greg, they're having problems getting his uh, vehicle on the road and in working condition because of a backlog in parks. Well, he says they're not making the parts anymore. What, what's your situation? Have you had to have any work done on your vehicle and have encountered problems either with supply chain issues or getting parts? Uh, I've heard it a lot from people anecdotally, Uh, but if you want to share your stories with us, you're certainly welcome to do so. We're going to go now to Clarence. You're on the air. Hi, Clarence.
3: Good morning, Linda. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
3: Doing great. Thank you.
1: What's on your mind?
3: So actually myself and uh, Lily Heyman, our human resource director, we traveled in to St. John's today to hold a career fair downtown at the Delta. And we're going to be here till 5 o'clock this evening or stay a bit longer as required, but we're on a recruiting mission now to uh, to see anybody who's looking for a unique opportunity to come to Nunavut to work.
1: So who are you and Lily? What Who do you represent?
3: Uh, yeah, so my name is Sender and I'm the president and CEO of NCC Investment Group, and uh, one of our companies is NCC Development Limited, and we just recently signed a uh, contract with the government in Nunavut to Build 2,000 homes by 2030 in in Nunavut, and as you can appreciate, the we are into a housing crisis up there. So we have a we have a unique opportunity where we need a lot of skilled professionals, and those actually that are just started in the trades and looking for a new opportunity to uh, check out Canada's North and great learning experience and great wages, of course, as well. So we figured, you know, when we look at our current roster, we have a lot of individuals now from Newfoundland and Labrador, but we're going to need a lot more, so we're starting out now this week. We're, we're doing a recruitment session here at the Delta, and then we're also heading Moncton and Halifax later on in the week, just, again, uh, looking for skilled professionals that are looking for a career change or the start of a career to come and work with us in the North.
1: So what are you, uh, what are you offering? What are you looking at? Is it uh, Are you doing rotation, uh, flying people back in and out? Uh, how does it work?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's rotational work and uh, basically from the time you leave uh, St. John's Airport to when you get up north and when you come home, your accommodations, your flights, meals, everything are found in it. Uh, We offer really competitive wages, great opportunities for overtime as well. And for me, I guess what I'm trying to emulate here as well, I first went north 28 years ago with my dad and i'm still doing it and it has been fantastic for me in my career development it's been a great experience so we're really hoping that with this new work program that we have that we can attract many more people from newfoundland and labrador on a rotational basis to come up and work with us in nunavut and well even if you want to come up and live that opportunity there as well but we'll start with rotational work at this time
1: is it year-round or or just through the summer months what kind of a window are you looking at for construction there
3: Yeah. So it's year round. Uh, you know, as you can appreciate we work in a pretty cold climate. So, you know, we always optimize our time. We're trying to get as much work done on the outside in the warmer temperatures and, you know, focus to the interiors, uh, in the colder temperatures, but our work will be going year round and we're currently under contract now to bring us well into 2030 and into 2031. And so the opportunities are endless. It's, uh, it's a level of stability that's not always there in the construction industry and we're happy to provide this opportunity to those who may be interested.
1: And where is it? In Iqaluit or? So, uh, our
3: home base is in Iqaluit, but we have work uh, all throughout Nunavut, So, and as you can appreciate, Nunavut is uh, spread across three time zones. Not a lot of people realize that uh, throughout the three distinct regions there's 25 communities, but. Over the course of this Nunavut 3000 program, we'll be working in each and every community uh, over the next seven, eight years.
1: So uh, Nunavut, obviously, is putting a real push on uh, um, improving its housing there.
3: Yes, absolutely. And uh, there's a responsibility there from the government side as well to do this. uh, Just even in my time that I've been in the north, Uh, with my family I've been involved in the construction of many different homes and there's many other companies out for doing the same but it just seems no matter how many homes we build uh, you know the crisis just keeps getting worse the the uh, areas are growing the conditions that a lot of people live in is just it's really not fair it's not right but now we have a government in place that's taking a different direction toward this and you know we will build the 3000 homes by 2030 but the work's not going to stop there either the work's going to have to continue because 3000 homes aren't going to come close to solving the problems that we have there but it's a start for sure
1: it is a start um uh, what what does it look like logistically in terms of uh getting construction materials there any any problems delays the cost
3: oh it's unbelievable it's uh you know, I think one of the one of the keys to surviving in Nunavut definitely comes down to how well you take care of those logistics and the procurement. Uh, so we can appreciate we can only get our materials by boat. And that shipping season short, it's from July to September, October, depending on which area of the north you're in, uh, just navigate, navigating through the sea ice, that sort of thing. And, you know, we ran into challenges and issues over the years and dealing with different suppliers and, of course, coming out of COVID and trying to deal with that. But uh, we actually just started up a new company as well called New Logistic Solutions where we became part of a buyer's group and we're going to be our own material suppliers uh, going forward with this program as well. So it's opened up a lot of different opportunities for us. And I'll just go back to it can open up a lot of different opportunities for young and old alike Uh there's so many great opportunities we had under this program and a great experience for anyone that's interested. So I just hope that people can take the time today to come down and see us at the Delta, meet myself and Lily, and uh, we can tell you a bit more about it and hopefully offer you a, uh, a new path in your career, one that's really exciting and really re-
1: rewarding. So Clarence, you're obviously a Newfoundlander. I am, yeah. And uh, you've been going up north for, you said, 28 years with your dad?
3: Yes, I left. Uh, I left home in June of 1995, and uh, never thought that, you know, I was going to be up there that long. But I'm still there. I'll eventually make my way back home here and, and live in and that. But still young, still full of energy, and still quite a bit of work to do. So, you know, in the meantime, I'll I'll keep. Working away up north and try to get home as often as I can.
1: So, how did you go from uh, uh, going up north to do a bit of work with your dad to being the CEO of a of a major uh, company, NCC Development Corporation?
3: Well, you know what? I, I'm actually really happy you asked that. Uh, that's just the uniqueness of the north. I've never heard of any other place out where somebody can just go in, roll up the sleeves, and work hard. And the opportunities seem to come your way. Uh, the people in Nunavut appreciate hard workers, people that give back. And I've been provided so many opportunities with this organization I work with. And you know, it, again it just speaks volumes to what an individual can do for their career advancement like to go from being a laborer on a job site to a CDO. Yeah, it's been a it's been a humbling journey, but you know, it's been quite rewarding, uh, to be able to work for 100% anyone-owned an organization that appreciates the work and efforts that a person puts in.
1: Well, that's a pretty uh, inspirational kind of story. So anybody who has that kind of drive and wants to uh, get involved in this adventure, um, you've got this recruitment drive now at uh, the Delta. Tell us a little bit about uh, when and where.
3: Yeah, so we're at the Delta. We're just set up right now and we're going to be here until five today. But again, if people are showing up after their current uh, current jobs, they can pop in here throughout uh, any time of the day or later this evening. We're downstairs in the lower level in the Brownsdale room. And, again, myself and Lily will be here to answer any questions, any queries people may have. We'll take people's names and numbers. We'll do some draws at the end of the day for some gift cards and everything. But more importantly, we just want to meet some people face-to-face and gauge their interest in coming north. And even, even if there aren't direct opportunities with our organization – we can also direct individuals into different areas that may be of interest to them as well. And it's, uh, it's actually really unique. There's a lot of people from Newfoundland and Labrador that are already living in Callaway and throughout the north. So there's always a big piece of home there as well.
1: Clarence, I appreciate your time this morning. Uh, thanks so much.
3: Thank you for having me, and I hope you have a wonderful day.
1: Same to you. Okay, bye bye. 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 Um, Clarence Synyard set up in the Delta until 5 p.m. Uh, this evening, um, looking for people who are interested in working up north. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to speak to you. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly today. We are going to go now to Janine Murphy. Hi, Janine. Hi, Linda. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So, you got um, your big I- rally tomorrow? Uh, Thursday, actually. Oh, it's Thursday. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. So that's at Frank Roberts Junior High. Are you getting any uh, response from either the school district or the Department of Education to some of the concerns that you've raised, uh, both yourself and through your MHA?
4: Well, we are getting a little traction. Uh, Last night, actually, they sent out a letter at uh, 9.30 p.m. um, stating uh, trying to downplay the situation. Um, So they eluded to the fact in the letter that qualified tradespersons conducted a comprehensive building inspection and no evidence of mold or concerns. But where is that report? Why wasn't it attached? Probably because it wasn't done. The tests take time. There's no way you can do an indoor air quality test in a couple of days and have the results sent out last night. I mean, it's just impossible. Did
1: they indicate that they had done air quality testing or that they simply searched for mold? Uh, Because the minister mentioned that in the House of Assembly late last week.
4: Yes, they mentioned that there was mold. Um, They alluded to the fact, actually, that um, occupational health and safety reports were uh, conducted up until April, and there was no uh, evidence of air quality control test concerns. I have ATIP documents stating otherwise. I have occupational health and safety documents from an ATIP that was conducted. Um, They also alluded to the fact that qualified tradespersons, like I said, but yet no mention of who those qualified tradespersons were. They talked about the sickness of the kids and that virus time and germs are going around throughout the region. They compared the school to other schools in the district and said there was no, um, said they were very comparable. The data suggested you can't compare Frank Roberts to other schools in the district, like Waterford Valley, for instance. Yes. The absentee numbers may, may be the same. However, I'd still like to see that data, but the, the issues are going to be quite different there 's kids in our school that had symptoms that are very similar to mold there 's headaches they 're stuffed up there 's allergies there 's cough they 've been out more than they 've been in. Why is the government so dismissive to this fact and another question well that- I suppose without you know knowing
1: exactly what each of those children are suffering from it 's almost impossible to know i mean. How how could you know that?
4: Well, exactly. But they've been taken to doctors. They're running tests. But why be dismissive? Why not be up front and come out and okay, let's get this put to bed. Um, have other- you
1: requested the? Uh, I mean, you know, if they send out a, mo- a memo to the school community, they're not going to attach all these things. But have you requested a copy of the
4: of this uh, report? We've been requesting this for years. The school council has requested this last year. There was no response. They've been requesting air quality tests be done and get the results from them. Um, The last air quality test in that ATIP that was conducted was 2009. Um, The last fire inspection that was done in that school as per the ATIP was 2017. Now, if there's anything more recent, by all means, Terry Hall, submit it or let us see it. Um, They also alluded to the fact that the OH&S and Safety Committee reports um, were done and there was no concern of mold, air quality, and exhaust fumes. Now, Occupational Health and Safety Committee, are staff members at the school, they're not qualified to to talk about anything or to make those determinations. They do more housekeeping things like a burnt-out light bulb or trip hazards, things like that. They are not qualified to make that determination. So uh, tell us a little bit about, for those who are not
1: familiar with the school, um, how, how old is the school? It, it dates to the 60s, is that correct? True, yes. Has it seen any uh, expansion since that time?
4: There was, I think, um, the grade 7 wing may have been an expansion, and there's a modular Uh, fitness room that they have attached to the back of the building because the gym doesn't, um, the gym is always double booked and it can't accommodate two classes at once. So they have to go into half the class or one class goes to the gym for 30 minutes. One goes to a fitness room for 30 minutes with a ping pong table and they watch videos or play a board game. And then they switch not part of not really uh, a true physical activity as per the curriculum.
1: Um so how many uh, kids attend that school?
4: Um I think upwards of six sixty, possibly a little bit more with the with the staff included. So it's uh And what I, was I, it built I, to accommodate in, initially? I think it was built it was either grade nine to eleven or ten and elevens initially. Um yeah, so there's there's Uh, great concerns on the overcrowding of the school. And and again, I have, they can't say that they're unaware of this. I have ATIP information emailed from staff at the school stating that there's a capacity issue with this school. They have staggering dismissals at the end of the day because they're ill-equipped to handle the volume of students. So what happens if there's a fire? If they can't all go out at the same time to get a bus, It's going to be chaotic, so I'm appalled that, you know, they're not taking this more serious.
1: Well, I mean, the staggered uh, dismissal times is fairly common in a lot of schools. I'm aware of that in a number of schools, Um, and that's just to keep it orderly. But if there was a a fire drill or whatever, that would be a different procedure, would it not?
4: Well, I'm sure the fire drills are controlled as well. Um, but my concern is the, the capacity in the classrooms, the capacity in that school. It's overcrowded. And again, I have ATIP information, emails, documents stating that this is a concern, not only from the parents, but from, from the staff.
1: So you've got your rally coming up now Thursday. What do people need to know?
4: Well, um, we just want them to come out, support um, support us. Uh, we need the the four feeder schools. I mean, this affects all of those those kids coming up um, show up at nine o'clock. And, um, and hopefully the media the media can come out, hopefully uh, staff and teachers, but I mean, I understand they're in a, they're in a bit of predic- uh, predicament themselves, so they probably won't be able to join us, but uh, we understand that. Um, the kids, I hope they, what kids are in school, I hope they can walk out and join the join the protest and, and stand with us.
1: Well, Janine, uh, it's uh, certainly getting a lot of attention these days. I really appreciate your time and uh, keep us informed. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, Janine Murphy there, uh, one of the parents at Frank Roberts Junior High, uh, very concerned about the conditions of that school. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. We have quite a few people waiting on the line, so do be patient. We'll get to you as soon as possible. Uh, uh coming up right after this
5: weekdays on vocm it's open line with your host patty daly join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m to noon on your vocm we get people talking and we're back we're going to
1: go now to the caller on line three hello
6: hi good morning linda happy to talk
1: to you well i'm glad to talk to you as well what's on your mind
6: I wanted to talk to you about something that's going on, and I don't know if the public's aware, but I want to make everybody aware on how we're in a crisis here across Canada uh, about people with disabilities and how they're discriminated against, especially by the government. You know, those kids come into the world. With disabilities, families turn their backs on them, friends turn their backs on you because they don't understand what's going on. Then by the time they get to school they're now waiting years and years for services through occupational therapy, speech and language, specialists, they get to school, then there's not enough resources at school to deal with these people. Now, my child has been in school for 18 years, and now that he's 18, last summer, when he turned 18, his baby bonus was cut off, his disability was cut off, even though he'll be in school till he's 21. It's almost like the government don't recognize them anymore. Uh, there was a bill. So passed. what
1: grade is he in now?
6: Well, he's in functional only. So right now, I guess technically you could say grade twelve.
1: I see. Right? And so he's eligible to stay until he's twenty-one. or Is that like yes, the mandatory he graduation?
6: Yes. Yes. He's autistic. Okay. And even though he's twenty-one, he's still like nine or ten.
1: So he he requires a great deal of support.
6: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So So, is he getting that support in the school system?
6: You know, to a point, the teachers are great. Don't get me wrong. The teachers are wonderful. But, you know, they only can do the best they can do with what they have to work with. And if there's not enough one-on-one supports and stuff like that he really gets overlooked and my child is such a quiet boy he's the type to just sit on the desk and speak to no one say nothing to no one raise no red flags just put his head down and be i hate to use the words but a shadow on a chair you know what i mean
1: right so he he tends to get overlooked cuz he's 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 passive
6: really passive honey really passive which is not good you know because he needs to socialize he needs to learn some basic life skills and if he doesn't show the input of wanting to do it well a lot of times they just walk on by which is you know it's that's a hard thing
1: so what happens when he ages out of the school system what happens to him then
6: well this is what i wanted to talk to you about. Now that he's, you know, a young adult, if I wasn't the type of mom I'd lay my life down for him, I'd wait up my whole life for him. If I was the type of mom to say, look, I'm going to give up on you, I'm going to put you in a home... The government would look after, financially, these young people, and probably pay in excess of four to $6,000 a month for someone to kind of give somewhat care to your young adult or child or whatever. But because so many of these kids live at home with families and many of them are single families just because of the stress of having someone with a severe disability, um, the government turns their back on you. And you know it's shameful because a lot of these young people with disabilities that are in homes are not doing well in homes. They're, you know, there's a lot of things going on in homes that people would be shocked about. So I've called NDP. I've called the liberals. I've called the PCs. I've written letters to Trudeau and every department I could think of to see what's going to happen with this Bill C-22. It was passed in February, and how long is it going to take for the government to recognize these people need to be guaranteed an in income. I mean, nowadays trying to feed someone, especially someone who has disabilities and really, really finicky, like my son is probably a hundred pounds, but there's a lot of foods he won't eat like you know you got to be Johnny on the spot trying to come up with new things
1: trying to get him to eat and eat healthy sure and that's a concern to you i know uh so uh, explain to our audience what bill c22 is and what what that will do
6: well the Bill C-22 is supposed to be a guaranteed income for people with disabilities that are of the working age that will probably never work. And he falls right into that category. Um, But the thing is, I mean, the government looks at it. they will give you a lot of breaks on income tax. But the problem with that, Linda, is kind of a catch-22. If you're a mom, and I'm a senior mom now, honey, most of your life is spent looking after that child, and now that i 'm a senior and i 'm he 's full time for me. Uh, It's no good for me to file income tax for him and get a break because I'm not out working for income tax, you know. Are you following what I'm saying?
1: Uh, Yeah, I I, I get what you're saying, yeah. So it would make sense for him to have, um, if he had a guaranteed income, would you be able to bring in, let's say, uh, a respite worker or uh, bring in some home care to give yourself a little bit of a break or or even uh, assist you? Yes, that's fine. Uh-huh.
6: Yes, you could do that. But it's it's not even so much about, you know, the respite care or, or me having a break. It's the government looking at these people uh, and saying, you know, from the, they really need to pay attention. From the time these young people are born to the time they become an adult, I constantly worry, what's going to happen when I'm not here? Is he going to be put somewhere where someone hurts him? I don't want that. I, I, it keeps me awake at night, you know. Um, they have to figure out a better better plan for these people. You know, these people aren't, they were born this way, God love them. You know, uh, they need help. The government needs to recognize that these people need a plan. They need help. Why in God's name would they pay all this money to these institutional homes where there's probably five or six in a home and a lot of them had, oh, such a big umbrella of disabilities, you don't know what you're dealing with, who's aggressive, who's not aggressive, to helping
1: the family raise these kids, you know. It's a terrible worry and concern, I know, to a lot of families. I know families who are dealing with very similar kind of circumstances to what you're facing now, and it's, it, it's, it's tough and it and requires some, uh, some action. I, I re- really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much. All righty. Thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to go now uh, to Kathy Hogan. She is the executive director of Oceans Advance, and they held a CWOIL, stands for Canadian Women in Ocean Industries Leadership Conference in the capital city. How are you doing? I'm doing
7: wonderful, Linda. How are
1: you today? Good. How'd it go?
7: It went amazingly, went well, Linda. I can't even begin to tell you the hype and excitement at this conference last week. And it was our inaugural event. Uh, you know, it was the first time that we've organized. Really, I think that anybody maybe in the country uh, organized uh, this type of um, conference, and uh, it went um, it went fabulous. That's the only word I can use. We're still kind of riding the uh, the high, you know, from uh, from last week and all the great comments we got back to your rave speakers and so on
1: women from across the country
7: they were absolutely, and there was um, there was one international participant, so we were excited about that as well. And um, I think uh, the OCM did a uh, did an interview actually um, with uh, with Valerie. But uh, no, it's a uh, it's a national event. Um, we developed a um, a national plan work plan in um, late in 2022, early 2023, which would uh, hopefully help us increase the number of women and underrepresented groups in the um in the ocean sector, so uh, there was national representation you know from sea to sea to sea I'd like to say east to west north and um, double the number of people that we expected to attend and um you know women and men um, attended this conference and uh, it was very exciting and it was definitely a uh, a feather in the cap of uh, Newfoundland overall to uh, to be able to host this event and to uh, bring these speakers. Uh, moderators, panelists and participants from all across the country. What kind of professions are we looking at in the ocean sector? Does it run the gamut? Is it mostly scientific? What does it look like? No, no, absolutely, Linda. So, um, you know, and and people often think that there's just, I'll use the term STEM, um, you know, people involved in the oceans. But the ocean sector uh, is actually uh, a number of subsectors. So marine transportation, our good friends at Compass, Lisa Pike and her group. There's also uh, aquaculture, capture fisheries, um, you know, and then what we term kind of a catch-all of ocean technology. So that includes... the, you know, the Pangeos, uh, well, now Kraken, uh, Subsea, CompuSalt, um, Rudder, all of these uh, very successful Newfoundland companies that are doing business internationally that uh, participated in last week's event. And we talk about that whole science research piece, which is a massive part of who Oceans is. But I would like to point this out because people often overlook the fact that um, Skills Canada, the New Newfoundland group, um, or the Newfoundland chapter as an example, are involved in OCEANS, WRDC, Women in Resource Development Corporation. So OCEANS isn't just about the science. It's about all of the great work that's taking place um, in the water, on the water, and under the ocean uh, floor. Growing sector? Absolutely absolutely that was one of the reasons why coil started originally and and I tell the story uh, quickly but you know I had a conversation with somebody there's so few women currently leading at least in my membership currently leading uh, companies and so on and uh, there's a huge need out there um, in all of the sector for highly qualified people and um, you know we just aren't uh, capturing uh, the women and the underrepresented groups so the question becomes, why not? Well, they're not aware of the opportunities. They've never had an opportunity to work in this sector. They've never thought about oceans. You know, Linda, for so long, people think oceans, and we still have to struggle. When we're trying to communicate with young people High school, post-secondary But mostly high school and so on That the oceans isn't just about um, You know, the fishery that your grandfather was in 60 years ago And the fishery, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity for young people But that too has grown The whole piece around uh, the research that's taking place All of the capabilities that exist now in the fisheries That didn't exist years ago And we were Fortunate enough that FFAW was a partner with COIL last week, and we had uh, two of their um, uh, women employees, Elise Stewart and uh, Courtney Langeel, uh speak at our event. And I have to tell you, I know that the, um, the whole fisheries piece is in a bit of a schmozzle at the moment, unfortunately, because of uh, what's going on with the crab fishery. But uh, I believe that the future looks bright there as well.
1: Well, Kathy Hogan, so glad you were able to give us this little update. Uh, Thanks so much for your time.
7: Thank you, Linda. I appreciate the opportunity. like to say uh, thank you to uh, your listeners. have to give a special shout-out to my uncle, Jim Murphy, at Winslow Retirement because he listens to your show all the time, and he'll be excited to know that, uh, you know, the future is bright for, uh, for all of us. So uh, thanks, Linda. We appreciate this. And uh, anytime, happy to chat about, about women, underrepresented groups, or Oceans Advance itself. Give us a call sometime. We'd love to talk to you further. Absolutely. Kathy, thank you. Alrighty, Have a great
1: day. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. And uh, we'll be back right after this. And we're back. We're going to go now to Keith. You're on the air. Hi, Keith.
8: Hey, good morning. How are you? Not bad. Yourself? Good. That's great. Uh, yeah, no, I just want to call in and talk about uh, the mask mandates being dropped in healthcare facilities in Newfoundland, and what a terrible decision that is.
1: Well, I mean, they're they're dropping it, I guess, on a
8: mandatory
1: level, but uh, people, you know, can still wear a mask in the in a healthcare facility if they want to. Uh, what do you think?
8: Well, it's a terrible way to do public health policy. I mean, if people can, can choose, they won't choose, right? So, uh, since they ended mandatory masks in all public spaces, I mean the percentage has dwindled massively and uh, you got people going, you know, coughing all over the stores and whatever else and people just aren't doing it. So
1: I suppose it's one thing to be exposed to um, illness when you're out shopping. It's a whole other thing. If you happen to be a patient in a hospital and you're exposed to a, uh, a virus.
8: Well, exactly. I mean, and and here's the issue. Um, They're leaving it to the patients to, Uh, self-assess and uh, what's known about COVID is that uh, well and a lot of things actually it's not just COVID so asymptomatic infection is highly prevalent when it comes to COVID so uh, something like 40 to 60 percent of the people who have COVID don't know they have it so how can you self-assess whether or not you're you know kind of spreading COVID around the hospital and uh, you know Without knowing, right? So,
1: and you're infectious a couple of days before you even become symptomatic.
8: Oh, exactly. Uh, and some people don't become symptomatic at all, which is why COVID is such a you know a pain in the butt to deal with. If it was as simple as you know chicken where boom you got red dots all over your hands, then you would know, right? Um, so yeah, it just it just doesn't make any sense to do this. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, COVID. Is terrible and it's caused us a lot of problems, but it's also exposed a lot of places where we could improve, uh, you know, as a society, especially in healthcare. So um, when it came around, I mean, everybody started masking and, you know, the, the, the cold, the flu, uh, different respiratory viruses, uh, their percentages dropped significantly uh, to a point where, you know, a lot of people weren't sick for like a year, two years. And then they took away masks in public, and then those numbers skyrocketed, right? So, um, and then we have the hospitals at, like, the healthcare settings. So, why are we not learning from, you know, like, the, 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 like, taking a positive from our COVID experience and learning that, hey, masks are probably a good idea in healthcare settings anyway, Right.
1: Well, masks are one of a number of tools and it almost feels like, you know, when the mask mandate came down, all the other common sense things like continually washing your hands, not going out when you're feeling sick and spreading it to other people, knowingly or unknowingly, you know, all of those little things went by the wayside as well.
8: Yes. And I mean, and and this is this is like advocates like myself. This is where I have an issue with our leadership. So, um, you know. We, we have shifted into a new, uh, you know, time in society and in, in human existence where, uh, you know, if COVID, you know, we're, we're told we have to learn to live with it. So, like any species, if you have something introduced into your environment that is harmful or even if it was um, beneficial to you, right? So, uh, you know, like wolves, if more rabbits come into the wolves sort of environment, then they feast more, and then there's their population booms and then the rabbits go down and then they die off, etc. Right? So the, the good and the and the or the positive and the negative uh introduction of uh you know different variables into an environment it it commands that you would adapt to it, you adjust to it. So what we did was we temporarily adjusted to something that we're being told we have to learn to live with. So we're we we've been told since twenty twenty two Uh, when Omicron came around that, you know, we have to learn to live with this. COVID's here to stay. Well, that's fine. Then if COVID is here to stay, uh, you know, then we have to have adjustments that are also here to stay, not things that, well, you know, become politicized where it's, well, I don't like doing this. I don't like, not everybody likes doing, uh, you know, all this safety regulations that society have set up over the past 50, 70 years, but this is for the greater good. So at some point we can't have individuals, Uh, deciding public health policy because you just can't have that. And a lot of the public policy is not
1: to protect you. uh, It's to protect the people who are the most vulnerable, somebody with diabetes, somebody with cancer, somebody who is uh, a senior and uh, has a variety of health care concerns so that when so they don't catch a virus that can develop into pneumonia and kill them.
8: Well exactly, and i mean it 's that that doesn 't just go for covid this is why I have such an issue with us not taking you know, having a, you know, a learning moment from this. So I'm a teacher. So time that I can, you know, uh, you know, learn, you know, it's, that's our quest as humans is to evolve, is to get better, is to learn from our mistakes, to learn from, you know, changes in our environment. And what we're doing right now is going backwards. So if we're told we have to l- learn to live with COVID, then we need to, to learn to live with the adjustments that we're going to have to make. We don't have a choice in this. So, you know, the statistics are coming out and it's staggering. So long COVID is way more prevalent than they thought it was in kids who have experienced two infections. The long COVID number is about 10 to 12 percent, and that's a low ball number. So that is a lot of kids who are sick for three to six months and beyond because the study, it was limited to six months. They just stopped tracking them. So if you take the the population of kids in Newfoundland and you infect them twice and 10 percent of those are going to have, you know, chronic symptoms that are going to last three to six months, I don't see how that, you know, that is acceptable when we do have the tools to, you know, to slow this thing down. We did it in the past.
1: And COVID is still considered to be at this stage a a mild virus. But uh, I read a statistic just the other day uh, showing that uh, 20,000 people a week died in France in recent weeks. So that's uh, that's still fairly significant. Um, Keith, we're up to news time now. In fact, we're past it. So I'm going to have to leave it there, but I do appreciate your call this morning. Thank you.
5: Sounds good. Take care.
8: Alrighty.
1: Bye-bye. Your thoughts? Give us a
5: call. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM.
1: And we're back. Uh, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. And uh, anyone who was driving down the southern shore to see that iceberg in Ferryland got a bit of an uh, added <laughs> bonus, if you will. A surprise when they passed by the credit union in Whitless Bay. The mayor of Whitless Bay, Trevor Croft, is with us now. Hello, Trevor. Hello. Good morning. So, uh, Backhoe Banditry is back.
9: Yeah, unfortunately with the current drug crisis in this province, it's not going to be the last time this one happens.
1: It's, uh, it's rather shocking that uh, the level of desperation is, as, is that high.
9: Well, I mean, I mean, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, with the amount of damage to that building, um, I mean, for a few thousand dollars, it's a bit ridiculous.
1: <laughs> so what does this mean for uh, residents of the, of the area who uh, rely on that institution to do their banking?
9: Well, I know they had the uh, property restoration folks up yesterday and they're going to be working now throughout the week to get the bank up and running as uh, quickly and safely as possible. So hopefully we won't be too, too long without a bank.
1: So you started off by saying, uh, mentioning the drug crisis. Have you seen other types of things happening in and around your area?
9: Um, Not so much up our way. Um, But, I mean, a little bit of like cabin break-ins and stuff like that, but nothing... uh, To this extent, I know the last one. I think we had um, in St. John's. I think was the one in Galway there last year.
1: Yes, for sure. And um, and I know that there have been arrests in and around uh, Whitliss Bay in in recent years involving people from St. John's.
9: That's correct. uh, Most people seem to come up this way from St. John's. It's uh, close enough that they don't have to spend too much gas, I guess.
1: Um, so, uh, Whitless Bay, of course, on, a, on the brighter size, side of things, continues to be one of the faster-growing communities. Every time I drive down the Southern Shore, I'm always like, wow, this is different again.
9: <laughs> yeah, we have a, uh, a lot of growth uh, up in this area. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's close enough to St. John's, but not close enough to like deal with the St. John's Hustle and muscle.
1: For sure. You still get that fresh air. You still get that sense of,
9: I guess, freedom. Absolutely.
1: So uh, what else is happening in Whitless Bay these days? Anything exciting?
9: Um, we're looking forward to getting back into tour season. I know the uh, boat tours in Bay Bowls just uh, started up again this weekend, so hopefully the, uh, the weather warms up and, uh, and we can uh, start getting some whales and puffin viewing and stuff like that going on.
1: Are you seeing more activity now or, or traffic because of that uh, big iceberg down in Fairyland?
9: There's a little bit more traffic. There's not too, too much yet, but um, hopefully when the word gets out that there's a decent-sized iceberg in Fairland now, there will be uh, some more traffic coming through.
1: We do tend to get excited about icebergs, don't we? Absolutely. And of course, Whitless Bay is uh, famous for the birds and the and the and the whales. Of course, uh, have you seen any? Um, I I don't know how you could explain it. I mean, you've got that beautiful area down there um, that you've got done up like the park. Uh, have you seen any of the uh, fallout from the avian flu? Are you seeing anything like that?
9: Um, surprisingly, we haven't seen a lot. I know we've had some. Uh uh, seagulls and stuff like that, but apparently it hasn't really uh, got much into deposits in this area.
1: Well, thank goodness oh, for that.
9: Uh, we're uh, we're pretty lucky on that end of things.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, Trevor, I really appreciate your time uh, this morning. Hopefully, uh, the folks at the credit union are able to clean things up there and and get things back up and running as per normal.
9: Hopefully soon. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we are going to go to uh, Edgar. You're on the air. Hello, Edgar. Hello. Hi. How are you?
10: Oh, good, Linda. How are
1: you? Good. What's on your mind?
10: I am um, I really enjoy listening to you in the morning. So you makes a lot of sense, and I like to show anyway. You were, Patty. But anyway, uh, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Um, my role here in Blaketown, which we got a beautiful, clean town, and, and I always did. I moved here 22 years ago. I lived in Chapel Arm originally, and when my wife and I got married 43 years ago, we got married in Whitburn, and I said, gee, I live, live in Blaketown. I love Blaketown. So anyway, I moved down here. But the biggest problem we got here right now is the school, Crescent Cleveland School. What's wrong uh, with the school? We, well, garbage out by the door, a bunch of garbage. And, and, and I phoned principal, the principal, talked to the principal three times on the phone now. And the, the excuse she got, she don't have time to uh, look after the kids out by the door and the kids inside, which I realized, I mean, you know, she got her handful, 500 kids. But... The only kids, like, it's Tim Horton's bugs and Tim Horton's rappers and stuff like that, so they're all driving vehicles to older kids, and uh, recess time and dinner time and break time, they go to Tim Horton and get their coffee and whatever, and he just puts the window down. I'm after seeing it, I'm after driving down the road, and just put the window down and drop it out, outside on the ground, then it blows all over the place, and it's all down the neighbor's uh, yard, and... You know, uh, a coffee mug, empty coffee mug with the cover on it, can, can blow a long ways. Do they it have? Into...
1: Do they have many garbage receptacles in and around the property there?
10: Yeah, well, this this, is her, this was her theory. The garbage receptacles were there, but the covers were missing. So last week I spoke to her, and she said we got new covers coming in. Well, almost two weeks ago they put new covers on the forty-five gallon uh, garbage receptacles. And the same garbage is there in the same place, and there's no no garbage bin where the garbage is being piled the, the most. So she's blaming it on the crows and blaming it on this and that. You know, the crow don't take an empty coffee mug at the garbage and bring it over and drop it in the same place all the time. I know crows are pretty smart. Because the Innu people loved because they help them find their kill after he made a kill. But anyway, I'm getting a little bit, a little bit out of hand now. But the the principal said, like like I said, she she said she couldn't look after or teach the kids not to throw garbage at the same time that she's teaching them stuff in school, which. Uh, like, my kids never, ever done it. I taught them myself.
1: Well, when we think a few signs up around the school, don't litter, um, would yeah. help to get the message across. But um, it's interesting that you mention uh, young people, particularly those at a school, at schools, because I find that younger generations are much more aware and much more... Um, I guess uh, sensitive to uh, pollution and the effects on the environment than some of the older generations have been in the past.
10: Yeah, you would think. And I heard, uh, I heard a rumor uh, a few weeks ago. Was one one child said, uh, "I'm not going to school no more until you buy me a car." So he's in grade twelve, right?
1: Okay, well, that's a whole and, other set of circumstances yeah, that, there. Yeah, um,
10: well, this, this stuff is going on, and, okay, the parents buy them a car, you go to school, and I'm after following them, like, uh, in the morning, uh, recess time, going up, all going through Tim Hortons, and buys their uh, snack or their lunch, what, whatever, and when it finishes, drops it underground on the same corner as they always drop it, you go there, now; it was cleaned up for... Uh, graduation weekend which was last weekend was all cleaned up nice and clean but there's just a big of a pile of garbage there now which was a week ago than it was there a week before that
1: and it's not anything to do with um uh you know the fact that the snow is exposing a lot of stuff no no no
10: no no no, absolutely not snow is all gone the snow snow been gone out of that corner for last three, four weeks to the, the contractor here that plowed the snow, he plowed it all in one one corner, and the snow is all gone. I mean, the, even the contractor, I think it was yesterday, uh, swept the whole parking lot with a, one of those uh, sweeper brooms that's on a, a skid steer uh, backhoe machine.
1: And it's not the wind?
10: No, 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 no. I know, I know where it's come from. It's just come from the kids just dropping it out the window and standing around and having their, having their smoke and whatever, and just dropping the garbage on the ground because there's no garbage can there at that corner. Maybe it was a garbage can at that corner. They would probably put it in the garbage instead of walking all the way over halfway across or right across the parking lot to put it in the garbage. But anyway, uh, the people here, even, out in Fred Eagle are calling me because they know I'm the chairperson saying, you know, like, is there any way to, to do anything about this? Because all this oh. is going to stop. It's they're only a kilometer away.
1: Right. Edgar, uh, you're, you're starting to lose your line there a bit. Um, uh, okay. You're raising some interesting points. We'll see what others have to say.
10: Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: And I have noticed myself uh, going around now that the, the snow is far, The snow banks have finally uh, eased off a bit uh, that some areas, especially in around fences and stuff, do you find that that's where it tends to collect because the winds take uh, loose garbage in that and sort of pile it up by fences where it gets caught up. Um, and that's one of the biggest things in Newfoundland and Labrador is the wind. It just takes garbage, even if you put it in the garbage can, if there's not a proper cover on it or whatever the case may be, or it's not emptied out in a, in a time manner it gets blown around um anyway if anybody has anything to say about that they're certainly welcome to give us a call or just people just wantonly throwing garbage around um we'll come back right after this and we're back we're going to go now to mark you're on the air
11: hello mark yes yes hi linda can you hear me okay i can okay great some folks had cell phone issues so just wanted to double check um yeah thanks for taking my call i just wanted to call to uh to agree with uh, Keith's comments on the uh, removal of mass mandates and how it's it seems very <laughs> strange and kind of uh, uh, contradictory to put public health measures on to the individual for quote unquote risk assessments when really work historically individuals are not very good at doing risk assessments. And he already made the point about asymptomatic spread with COVID, so I won't. Repeat that, but I just wanted to add to what he was saying um, there 's a lot of response to the to this decision which which is heartening, but a lot of people are saying, you know uh, uh, wear masks to protect the vulnerable, which I agree with, um, but I think sometimes there 's a bit of <laughs> Mental gymnastics going on there to suggest that oh that means you know I'm I'm not vulnerable (laughs) you know the person no indeed no
1: you don't know how it's going to affect you Um, uh, I had COVID about uh, two months ago and I was shocked how sick I got I was really out of it
11: yeah it's really no no joke and yet it gets um, it gets uh, minimized all the time but anyway I hope I hope you're feeling better now I had it last year myself and. We talk a lot about sort of the acute phase being really mild, and for many it is. It feels like a little bit of a head cold or or even a bit of flu, Um, and I I count myself in that boat. But, you know, months later, I was still having issues with um, energy levels. I was fatigued all the time. Uh, It's only really in recent months that I started to feel a a little bit closer to normal, Uh, and this is like, you know, six, seven, eight months later so I mean thinking about repeat infections by the time you recover from one you're getting infected by another I mean you're, you're, it, there's no guarantee that you won't go through that again and that's what Keith I think was getting at with the long COVID comments I didn't necessarily have long COVID but anything related to post recovery complications uh, it lasts a lot longer than than people may realize so
1: and I, and I, I, I think uh, in, if, in a ahead. large go part ahead. to a large extent uh, mm-hmm. um, the the uh, health community is still, like, learning about that.
11: Yeah, absolutely. We're only, this will be year four since the pandemic was declared, going into the fourth year. So I agree, it's it's very much still in its infancy. So acting like, you know, oh, it's no big deal if I get it. Um, you know, it was mild the first time, so I'll be good. Uh, It's a little short-sighted. I I think there's still a lot that we need to learn about this virus. And, you know, I I agree that a lot more is floating around aside from COVID. So masks in hospitals especially make sense no matter how you slice it, I feel. Um, But I kind of want to put a call out to folks who consider themselves, quote, unquote, healthy, uh, you know, that you can very much become more vulnerable with maybe not COVID infection number one, but maybe number two. Maybe number three. So I don't like to underline um, reasons to wear masks for selfish reasons, but I don't think that just saying protecting the vulnerable always gets through to people. I I think there's a bit of a disconnect, like, oh, that can't happen to me. But, you know, many people who get disabled by this virus were previously quote unquote healthy.
1: And it leaves you vulnerable to other things like pneumonia. If you develop a viral pneumonia, there's nothing to uh, treat you
11: exactly yeah we we think of the short term ramifications but they're, they're you, you absolutely are more um are more exposed uh moving forward um there's studies around the t, t cell depletion these are i mean i don't know all the ins and outs i'm just i'm just sort of a private citizen who's like i don't agree with what's going on with public health so i'm going to do research and i don't mean like you know conspiracy theories but like you know scientific papers on t-cell depletion these are these are what are used to ward off infections and and covid uh, all but all but destroys them whether temporarily or even permanently in some cases so uh, I, I really wish that public health would educate the public more on on the real risks here um I guess their narrative has been, you know, uh, this is evolving to be milder and, and eventually it'll be like other respiratory viruses. Well, it's not even just a respiratory virus. It's also a vascular virus that can affect all organs in the body. Um, so yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling, but I agree with Keith and I, I think the precautionary principle of like, you know, even if we don't know everything, we should, we should use the tools that we have to protect ourselves and others in the meantime, I I, I would rather do that. And, be a little too careful while we learn more rather than letting it rip like we're doing and 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 you know lose lose my health or have other generations moving forward uh, uh, be disabled by this
1: uh, mark I really appreciate your time this morning
11: thank you Linda. I appreciate uh, your time taking my call all right bye-bye
1: we're gonna go now to Jennifer you're on the air hi Jennifer hi
12: Linda thanks for taking my call Thank you for calling. What's on your mind? So I had my uh, first Mother's Day yesterday. uh, New mother to six-month-old twin girls. Aw, congratulations. Well, thank you. And a belated shout-out to all the moms out there. Um, But it was funny. Yesterday I had a lot of uh, really conflicted emotions because uh, while I am a new mom, I was also one of the one in six women families that uh, struggle to conceive and so you know I actually spent three or four years trying to conceive and you know the Mother's Day is always a hard day for for those folks and you kind of you know shut out a lot of the Mother's Day messaging and so I was really conflicted yesterday because yesterday I was like okay now I can celebrate myself as a mother too yet part of me was still kind of standing in solidarity with those folks who are still struggling to uh, start their family or to continue their family. Sure, I understand that
1: completely. So uh, you uh, you managed to
12: successfully get IVF? Is that how that worked for you? Yeah, well, I'm a single mom by choice, so I had to go the donor sperm route anyway. So I actually started my treatments here in Newfoundland and Labrador at the, at the Fertility Services Clinic here in St. John's. Uh, through IUI, which is intrauterine um, insemination. Uh, That was unsuccessful for me. So I did try IVF in Calgary here, of course, in Canada. Uh, That was also unsuccessful for me. So I ended up going the international route. There's an altruistic uh, egg donor program in Barbados at the Barbados Fertility Clinic. And so I traveled there, and uh, that was uh, last year. And yeah, that worked for me. So you know, that was really great, but it is of course, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money and uh, it's a lot of heartache and pain and effort and struggle along the way. So
1: So you had yeah. a a couple of um I guess complications then if you required an egg donor as well.
12: Mhm. Yeah, well that's the thing. I mean, you know, you hear people talking about the ticking clock and uh, I think our generation, you know, we're t- we're tending to put off getting married and having families later and later and it's kind of a joke, you know, all well, my clock's ticking. But to some degree like it is the truth and by the time it is I really, absolutely
1: the truth. Y- yeah. yeah.
12: By the time I said to myself, Okay, I wanna start a family and I wasn't in a relationship so you know, it was just you know, I my diagnosis for what it's worth is unexplained infertility i don't know if i actually have fertility problems or if i just kind of left it too late so uh yeah but luckily there are treatments that are available for folks like me were you very old at the time if you don't mind me asking no not at all uh i started um i started treatments when i was i think 38 and then uh yeah i had the girls when i was 42
1: oh well that's not bad it's still considered geriatric in the in the medical (laughs) sense um but you know it's not bad there's lots and lots of women who have uh,
12: babies in their 40s for sure oh yeah for sure and if you're using an egg donor you can actually there's clinics that will take you up until the age of 50 which is pretty amazing when you think about it
1: it really is so you really took extraordinary steps to conceive
12: yeah, absolutely. I mean, once you start down the road, like I'm the kind of person I don't just, you know, oh, well, let's give this a go. Like I was like, okay, what can I do next? What can I try now? You know, that kind of thing. And so once I started, I just didn't really want to give up till, you know, we I got to where I am. You were driven. So, yes. Yeah, that's
1: one word for it, hey. <laughs> so you went to Barbados, you say?
12: Yeah, that's right. And I feel like Barbados and uh, Newfoundland Labrador are Quite similar in a way, like in terms of community and culture and mentality. It's just Barbados, of course, is a lot warmer. Um, <laughs> a lot warmer. But no, the people <laughs> yeah. the people are warm and friendly and
1: yeah, it's lovely.
12: Yeah, yeah. It's very much like Newfoundland and Labrador in that sense, you know, kind of that island mentality culture. Um, yeah. So it felt like a natural fit for me, to be honest. I felt really uh, welcome there. And how are your babies doing? Oh, well, they're great. They're uh, cooing away. I'm actually in the other room because they didn't. Well, they they really had a lot to say as well to you apparently here in open line.
1: So. Something uh, something about twins though. They they know how to comfort each other.
12: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're at that age now where they're starting to hold hands and oh. you know, kind of, yeah, it's really sweet. <laughs> so Jennifer, <laughs> did you get much support
1: along the way? You know, in terms of uh, making it easier for you to do this, or was it all self? motivated?
12: Uh, I got a lot of support from my uh, family and friends and uh, co-workers now you know when you're on this journey it's not some people choose to be really open about it but it's really hard to kind of say okay this is what I'm doing because it's really like walking around with your heart outside your body you know it's just so it's such a vulnerable feeling when you're trying to conceive so you know I didn't tell everybody but the people that I told like it's just been amazing like it really does take a village and uh, yeah I'm really grateful to friends and family that have supported me along the way and of course part of that journey as well is uh,
1: you you sort of want to keep your cars close to your chest in some cases because uh, you know it's difficult when people are asking you all the time how you doing how you doing how you doing and it's not working out
12: Yeah, totally. And especially there's, you know, a fairly high incidence of pregnancy loss as well, uh, which is another, you know, dimension to the journey that sometimes people don't talk about is that it can take you a couple tries, even once you successfully get pregnant, it can take a while to actually maintain a successful pregnancy. And it is very difficult, you know, a lot of women, a lot of families, don't disclose right away, I mean, even even if you don't have any issues of uh, infertility. So yeah, it's it's something that, yeah, I think you have to balance, like, when do you want to celebrate, you know, just yourselves, that small group and versus you want to celebrate with your wider circle.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah. Jennifer, did you get, uh, I mean, are there programs that you could have uh, par- um, partaken of to make it easier to go on this
12: IVF journey? I mean well, in terms what, of government and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's why I wanted to call into Open Line. I mean for me, like I'm good. I'm I'm done. I've got my twin girls, you know, two and done. <laughs> uh but there's still a lot of folks out there that are still struggling. Uh so what my reason for calling today was to see if we could get an update from government on the uh, 2021 election uh, promise of uh, an IVF clinic here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Like I said, we currently have IUI services available and other uh, fertility supports. Uh, But anyone who lives in Newfoundland and Labrador who currently requires IVF treatment has to travel outside of province. Uh, We're the only province in Canada where that's the case, where we don't have our own clinic with the exception of PEI, but they provide uh, uh, travel support for folks You can easily access uh, services in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia from PEI. And I mean, obviously, Newfoundland and Labrador, you can't hop in your car and drive over the bridge. Uh, so we're the only province without IVF support, and uh, you know it's already expensive enough, time-consuming, uh, very difficult, and then having to travel on top of that makes it even more so. Uh, so my understanding that is that, of course, the that was a 2021 election promise um, back before the Liberals were. Uh, were uh, reelected, and uh, there was an update uh, in the fall of twenty twenty two by Minister Osborne and saying that there was going to be an RFP issue for IVF uh, services. Uh, I did a quick Google search before I called you just to see the status on that. It looks like uh, the RFP was indeed issued, uh, the request for proposals, um, and there was supposed to be a deliverable by the end of March. I haven't heard anything, so, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd give a shout-out to you and your listeners. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, families that are still waiting out there, and, you know, it is a very time-sensitive issue. So, yeah, we would love an update, and we would certainly love to have an IBS clinic here in Newfoundland and Labrador. It would save a lot of time and heartache and struggle for families.
1: Well, Jennifer, congratulations on your first Mother's Day, and I uh, really appreciate your call this morning. We'll see if we can get an update. Yeah, thank you, Linda. really appreciate it. All Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you.
5: Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back. We're going to go now to Rob. You're on the air. Hi, Rob. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good. How are
13: you? Good. Thanks for taking my call.
1: Thanks for calling.
13: Calling in this morning uh, regarding, uh, I guess, an important topic to me, and I guess many of your learners, is diabetes. I'm uh, personally a diabetic for 30 years, and uh, I wanted to bring up the subject of continuous glucose monitoring. Um, it's something that was mentioned, I'm sure you're aware of, in the last budget. Uh, there were so many millions of dollars allocated for continuous glucose monitoring for uh, diabetics. Right. I don't remember yeah. that or not? Yet. Now, I haven't been able to... I haven't heard anything about that lately, but I want to touch base on how important that is and what I've, uh, uh, as a diabetic, have encountered with this and uh, the importance of and what's going on in the community with uh, the supply of this and the coverage of this. So 30 years as a diabetic, I've struggled a lot of my life to try to control my blood sugars. Well, diabetes has become the treatments for diabetes has become more and more advanced. They're very advanced now. So I'm on a whole lot of different treatments that I've never seen before. Some of them are injectables. You may have heard of it. Stuff like Ozempic. It's advertised everywhere. (laughs) And the drug is uh, an absolute miracle. It it controls your blood sugar along with uh, lifestyle change. um, With exercise and uh, of course along with the continuous glucose monitoring and it goes hand in hand and it, it, there's a disconnect with it all uh, with insurance companies and coverages because we can't see even though I got two insurances nobody wants to cover the continuous monitoring now here's where we run into a problem
1: okay I, if you don't mind if uh, if I can yeah. interject for a second um, how much does that end up costing in continuous glucose monitoring
13: so continuous glucose monitoring costs up to six thousand dollars a year.
1: Wow, that's not uh, that's not unsubstantial.
13: <laughs> no, it's a substantial amount. And at the end of the day, the you know the, the original finger sticks where you stick your finger and get your your glucose number. My belief is, and being here and doing it is well. Okay, you're going to figure out how high your blood sugar is and with the with the continuous glucose monitoring, which it's in your arm 24 hours a day you look at it you can look at it any time and you can figure out look what i ate Just done this to it and it's it, it makes you change your life it it's uh it's such a new technology that uh um it's a game changer for diabetics
1: now, right so it's not guesswork anymore it's it's you can actually monitor it from minute to minute
13: on your smart, on your on your phone, on a smart device, but you know what? You find out even how stress affects your blood sugar. You find out how lack of sleep affects your blood sugar. How one potato versus two potatoes, a bowl of cereal versus a bowl of carrots. So what we didn't have years ago, we didn't know, but it was in textbooks. Now we can actually see it, and when we see it, we have a tendency to say, "Oh, well." You know what? If I get that stuck in my arm, well, then this done that. well, tomorrow, night, you know what? I'm just going to cut that back to one potato, or maybe I won't have any potatoes. So what, what's happening is I've gone from being uh, not so good of a diabetic to being and having a blood sugar range of uh, 10 and 12, not good, to being a diabetic who has a blood sugar between five and seven, which is normal. And I also have 22 pounds gone from these new medications and continuous glucose monitoring. And the, glu- the continuous glucose monitoring allows you, it learns you how to live correctly, how to eat, how to sleep, what to drink, what not to drink. And it also shows you the ramifications that when you eat the wrong foods and you, and you are under stress, there are certain things, infection or whatever, it will reflect in the blood sugar. So it learns you how to live healthy. The issue I have with it is, it's so great. Unfortunately, the insurance companies, I have two private insurance policies, one with my wife and one on my own. They only look at coverage for it. And I know that uh, the government announced that they would be doing a pilot project and is continuous glucose monitoring. It, just because they brought it up in the budget, it would probably tell one that that's probably important. Or, you know, all the different diseases we have or different things, why wouldn't they bring that up? So, you know, continuous glucose monitoring is very important with these new medications because the new medications are dropping our blood sugars very low. And I'm going to tell you, when I got to walk up the hallway in the morning at 2 and 3 o'clock because my blood sugars are dropping too low and I'm like a drunken sailor trying to get sugar in my mouth because I can't afford 11 $12 a day to have this on my arm, I end up in an emergency with a bag going to me and that costs four or five thousand dollars for one So I'm gonna ask you know, people to call in and, and give us give me, you know, give us all the, your opinion on this and it, i know noticed lots of people out there, I mean like this, diabetes is rampant. I mean they they implemented the sugar tax. That'll tell you how rampant diabetes is. They're trying to curb it. But as diabetics and there's a lot of us, I'm sure there's you probably know one in your family if you're not one yourself. But we need to have this continuous monitoring because low blood sugar, hypoglycemia, is more dangerous than hyperglycemia. You know, you go to bed, you go to sleep, and if you don't get that up in time, you could go into a coma. So you're running more, you're running thousands of dollars in expenses by having that versus not having it. So I'm kind of uh, frustrated with why insurance companies, number one, wouldn't cover this because it allows you to get off insulin and oral medications that they're paying for. And number two, where's the program the government offers? And who's it for? I hope it's just not for people who can't, you know, because nobody in this day and age can afford $6,000 a year. It's just not there. Not, you know, not the way things are right now. We all should be a part of this uh, uh Problem solve if we're a diabetic. Yeah, honest.
1: and and we know what the costs are for people who can't control their diabetes.
13: Exactly, and 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 like I said, with the new medications for diabetes, I my, myself never lost a pound in my life, no matter what I did. They're taking pounds and weight off of people, which ends up in exactly what our premier is saying. He wants a healthier, healthier province. So if you got twenty plus pounds down because you're on a new medication that does this and it lowers blood sugar, well, you're getting exactly what you want, a healthier province. But we need that assistance. We need to know when is this coming, who's it for, and why are the insurance companies denying this when they're actually saving money in the long run? I think this is absolutely a real big issue because I know the province is blocked with diabetics.
1: Yeah, we have one of the highest rates in the country. Uh, Rob, I'm sure this touches uh, an awful lot of people here in Newfoundland and Labrador, as you just pointed out. I- I'd like to hear what others have to say about it. And we'll see if we can get an update on where that program
13: is. Well, I appreciate it, Linda. Uh, Listen to me, say, saves a lot of information. And, and uh, I'm sure people understand where I'm coming from with these, these new aggressive medications. And they're doing, they're doing wonders for diabetes. But folks like me and, and lots of other people, we have to be able to know where our blood sugars are sitting all times of the day, uh, and avoid going to the emergency room because they're too low or calling an ambulance and running up thousands of dollars. It doesn't make sense when you have to do that.
1: Rob, uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to speak with you. And we're back. We are going to go now to Brian. You're on the air. Hi, Brian.
0: Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, great day. Nice to see you. It's sun.
1: It is. Okay,
0: I'm just, uh, just going to the side there now with my cell phone there. And, I'm having a little chat about health care. All uh, it's right. a two-part, uh, two-part story. The first part is uh, my wife uh, was out for a casual walk two weeks ago, and uh, she was her ankle, I guess, rolled her ankle. So, what do you do when you roll an ankle? You know, you go home, you put ice on it, do you go to emergency, do you go to your doctor? This is the age old question. Well, she went to her chiropractor. And it turns out that a chiropractor has the ability to uh, write a prescription or a requisition for uh, an x ray. And the x-ray or the uh, chiropractor said, you know, it's most likely a sprain, but it's possible a break, so you should get an x-ray. So talk about scope of practice. This chiropractor was able to uh, ask for or request a uh, an x-ray, and, uh, and she did, and bypassed the emergency completely. Uh, at that moment went in had the x-ray and uh came out and sure enough there was a bone broken by the time she got to emergency they already had that information and it saved her hours of waiting and um, i I guess it saved the system something so uh that's the first part of the story Uh, what an interesting thing that is I always say if you get up in the morning with a toothache you go to a dentist if you wake up with a bad foot what do you do uh you know and uh, so what made uh, her think
1: of of going to her chiropractor?
0: Well, she—I think she was up there on another appointment anyway. I think she had and mentioned of, it, and just said, "Look at look what I did." She said, "What are you? You know, how come you're limping?" And so uh, one thing led to another. So that was an interesting thing I thought, uh, and, and something just to throw out there that uh, they're, they're talking about scope of practice and. Nursing practitioners and nurses and various other things. How to how to find and what an interesting thing I thought to mention to uh, people out there. Now I'm not trying to I'm not trying to bypass the emergency call, uh, but in certain situations, in her case, if she hadn't got that X-ray, she would have been walking on a broken bone.
8: Oh my,
1: yeah, and so yeah, it was very for- fortuitous for her that she was able to get to the bottom of that quickly and without having to wait in uh, yeah. in an, uh, perhaps a crowded right. emergency room.
0: So the second part of the story is uh, the emergency. So we go into, uh, in there, we had to go in. Into, I suppose we could have not gone in, but we, she had to get a boot or something. And this is now, this is not, the prior record's is not involved in any of this. But now we're going to go to emergency and see what, what the ortho says with this information. So anyway, um, now, I, there's two of us, uh, we have a car, we drive up. Uh, she can't walk, she's barely able to move, and it racks a pain. So I'd go in to get a wheelchair, but I didn't get a wheelchair. I got what they call a movable something or other, a big steel metal yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm familiar with it. you got to sort of like pinch the handle. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you know the driver, the seater, the person in the seat can't mo- uh, mobilize that, can't mo- can't move it, can't do anything with it. This is only get the person that's next to you. So you got to have two people. Well, you need three people. Really, you need somebody to drive the car. Then you need someone to stand over and, uh, and and stand behind you and push this uh, beast and get you where you're going. Into in this case, uh, well, I don't know was the x ray, I can't remember which we were going at that moment. But my point is. Um, now, the security guards are standing there doing their job, saying, what's that car doing there? Where's he going? So what do I do now? I got my car parked in emergency. I got my wife in a seat. i just going to leave her there and go for 20 minutes and find a place to park and then come back? You know, what about you, what about you had an appointment? Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to say, you know, get rid of those beasts and give us some wheelchairs so that the people who've got good arms and one bad leg can can mobilize themselves and move themselves around and get to a, a washroom. Mm-hmm. or a And then I got her to x-ray, and then I had to leave her again. And I said, what am I going to do? I, gotta go. I said, i got to move that car, because I I, I, did, I did what I shouldn't have done. I left the car in emergency right outside the door and brought her into x-ray, but um, not x-ray, emergency You and, and
1: many uh, more people besides, I'm sure.
0: Well, I saw people around there shaking themselves, so I mean, i I got to say, and oh, um, the other thing I should say if you ever go to the hospital, you notice they're very, very protective over their real wheelchairs. The nurse has got them up in 4 North A or B, and it's all written on them. And they need those wheelchairs, and they know that if they leave them out, they're going to be gone. I'm just here to say, unfortunately, people who make decisions don't often use the facilities in which they decide upon. And and I I just wonder if if, you, if Dr. Hagee or Dr. Uh, whoever's the Minister of Health these days, Tom, uh, if they thought about that for a minute and said, okay, so what do you do with these people if if my wife could get herself around or. Her? get to a washroom, I had to be there, I had to have my car there. How does that make sense if we're trying to make this a smooth transition and, and a fluid uh, operation? Uh, it's uh, it, Until such things are asked, I don't know how we're ever going to get to a better a better place.
1: I know when they're discharging people, they'll often send down um, somebody with, with the patient who will push that to the door, and you can go get your car and then bring it around. But when you're coming in, like you say, when you're coming into the facility, you don't have that same
0: luxury yeah, no or mechanism. service there's no mechanism the security people are there and they got a job to do they're they
1: got not, their own job to do yeah
0: they're not hearing your story and uh, but i, I think because uh, they might have saved a few dollars on those uh brutal things transport i think they're called transport chairs but it's a it's a it's a bad bad choice and i and i really think that someone in my wife's situation and a lot of other people who can't walk or for any number of reasons they can still mobilize themselves around and and Get themselves in a good place, but if you're locked in that chair, you can't move until some emotion.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: So and you can't do it, it yourself. There's days. no way. Yeah. So just ask the people who are making decisions and looking at how to better the emergency. I think they're working on it because they've already made some improvements and started some construction. But uh, these are the little things uh, that are really big things because when you're the person, if you're out there right now and you've been where I've been, you know what I'm talking about. if you haven't been there, think about what's going to happen when you walk up to that hospital with your car and your patient. You get out, you're trying to find something to, to, to get them in, and there's no help. There's nobody there to give you a plan or help or direction. Uh, and you're on your own. And so do you leave your car or not leave your car? Do you leave your wife or not leave your wife? I think they need to be a little bit more humane about that and, and give us some better directions of how we can help ourselves, really.
1: Brian, you're raising some really interesting points there. Uh, like you say, unless you've been there, you, you might not know what you're talking about, but, uh, um, but if you've been there, you know exactly what you're talking about. Brian, I really appreciate your time.
0: Uh, it's happening every day. It's happening right now. It's okay, happening
1: thanks. right now, yeah. Thank, Thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Uh, we're going to go quickly now to uh, Nancy Taylor. She's a board member with Tennis NL. Hello, Nancy. Hi Linda. How are you this morning? Good. Look, I just this just came across my uh, email, and we've got uh, what's being called the Stanley Cup of tennis coming to St. John's. Yes, that is
14: pretty exciting. Actually, it's. Um it's called the Davis Cup trophy, and it's and basically it's a, a it's a world trophy. So that what it involves is 143 nations compete for this trophy every year. It's been it's been in existence for 123 years, and last year Canada won it for the very first time in 109 years of being involved. So that is pretty – it's pretty spectacular. So we're pretty proud as Canadians, and and tennis has really, you know, uh, had a much higher uh, level of uh, success in the last number of years. So this is is pretty huge, and the uh, trophy is going to actually be in St. John's. It's going on a tour across the country, and it will be in St. John's this Thursday on display at the Rooms. From one o'clock till three o'clock. Fantastic.
1: So, do you have um, people who are involved in tennis who are planning to go down? Like, um, I'm thinking in terms of uh, young tennis players and that sort of thing who might be in school.
14: Yes, exactly. We're, lo- we're looking for. We have some uh, schools. I think some uh, students from St. Bonds are going to come over to see. We have some young tennis players that play uh, regularly. They're going to be there. And in fact, uh, one of our one of our uh, players is actually going to speak at the event. And there's going to be a photo booth. And this trophy is pretty big, actually. It's like a 230-pound trophy. That's like 110 centimeters tall. So it's going to be in a special area of the rooms. And there will be a, a few speeches. We're hoping to have the minister, uh, uh, Crocker, there as well as the mayor. So it's uh, it really is basically the Stanley Cup of Tennis and we're kind of like the Toronto Maple Leafs. We just, we've, we finally won it. So they not won it yet, but you know what I'm saying.
1: Um, so the Davis Cup, when was the last time it was in Canada?
14: Oh, this is the first time ever in our history. First ever time ever. So this is momentous. It's... First time ever. And it, we've, it, it, we have been, in, been competing uh, to try to win this trophy for 109 years. The trophy itself, that the competition itself is 123 years old, and we've been, as a nation, has been involved for for uh, competing for 109. So this is this is a really big deal. We had two of our very top, nationally ranked players, Denis Shapovalov and Felix Ozelieci, on the team, and I think that was uh, they that was pretty pivotal in terms of the win.
1: Well, fantastic! So that's really exciting.
14: So that's this Thursday at the rooms yes from one o'clock to three o'clock and it's, it's free admission and it's open to, to the public so anybody who wants to come and see this fabulous trophy and fabulous fabulous national uh win are, are welcome to come
1: and nancy just quickly now i see all that work being done at uh, riverdale to get ready for the uh, canada summer games in 2025 that must be exciting
14: yes and that's another another great project so uh we're really excited about that. I mean, Riverdale has been, that's another, that's a, a tennis court that has been in the city now for nearly a hundred years. And they really needed a facelift for, for quite a number of years. Now it's been, I think, 2008 was the last time we had them resurfaced. So this time they're getting a, uh, a, a great face over. They've had to dig down to, to, to really level the surface for the first three courts and, um, so we're hoping that by July, and again, it will be weather uh, permitting that we will have all six courts all resurfaced and uh, ready for the, the Canada game for 2025. And it's, it's been wonderful because it's been a it's been a joint effort. We've had municipal, provincial and, and federal support for this uh, project. And we're also going to get a facelift to as well to the uh, Greenbelt uh, tennis club and and a new a new indoor bubble as well. So this has really got to help promote our sport um, and have more kids become more active and more players playing tennis. And it's such a fun game, it really is. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Nancy, uh, I mean, uh, the Canada Games is one thing, but what will this mean? And you just hinted
14: at it there. What will this mean for
1: the future of tennis in this in this region?
14: Oh it's it's. Huge because like you said you know we've got a fair number of people playing but the in order to keep you know um, the, the sport going facilities to, to to maintain them and to upgrade them is humongous cost and so in order for that to happen we we would really needed these new facilities because what it does it just inspires kids it gets them playing more it gets adults i mean the beauty of tennis is that you can play with your mother your father your sister your brother your friend and you can play at all ages so it's it's one of those sports that is a great activity that can be played at all ages and I think it will just allow more people to be active and to play both indoors and outdoors uh, for years to come.
1: Nancy Taylor, board member with Tennis NL, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And the Davis Cup, the uh, Stanley Cup of Tennis, is going to be at the rooms this Thursday. Drop down, have a look at it. First time in Canada. We're overdue for the news. Sorry about that, Greg. Uh, we'll be back right after this.
5: Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com.
1: And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off today. And while we had a really rollicking first two hours of the show, um, uh, the lines have loosened up a little bit. So now is your chance to give us a call if you're trying to get through before and you couldn't or had been waiting on the line a long time. So now is your chance. We're going to go now to Minnie. You're on the air. Hi, Minnie. Hi, Linda. How are you How are this you? morning? You're a
15: stranger. Yes, I was listening to uh, Rob, the... Uh, a short time ago, and he was talking about uh, diabetic drugs.
1: Yeah, and the uh, glucose monitoring, the continuous glucose monitoring.
15: Yes, that's right. And uh, I'm in much the same situation, eh? Now, uh, my mother, uh, mother's family, everybody in her family are, were diabetics, eh? Uh, seven of them. And uh, in my dad's family, there was two of his brothers and sisters diabetic too, so I sort of stood the chance that I was going to be a diabetic. And when I was in my early 50s, sure enough, I I became a diabetic. Now, I've gone for over 20, uh, just about 25 years I've gone uh, on just ordinary drugs. But at the stage now where I can't seem to get it below 10, and Linda, where I've had heart problems, uh, that's not a a good place to be at a 10. He wants it down to 7. Right. Yeah. And I've tried just about everything. I mean, I I I'd be lying to say that I've given up everything in sugar, but I pretty well have. eh? And once in a while, uh, maybe if I was out to a somewhere, I may take a very little tiny bit of uh, cake or something, but so small, you know. And. Uh, I'm pretty well at the stage now where the doctor informs me that my pancreas is, in fact, not working at all for to produce insulin, eh?
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. So you're in a pretty, yeah, serious... Yeah.
15: So he suggested that I take these new pills. He said that's the latest thing, rather than go on insulin, because to be honest, Linda, I'm terrified of insulin. Why? I don't know, but uh, my sister's on insulin, and uh, I worry that uh, you could, that I could, because I suppose I'm supposed to be taking uh, sugars every morning every evening. But for some reason, I, if I'm going anywhere, I don't do it. And that's what I'm afraid of That, that uh, because of that. I know p- people are going to say, well, that's crazy. But uh, it's just that I'm negligent like that. But anyway, doc- my doctor said to me, you know, this is a great drug for you, right? It's made actually made for, for somebody like you. So I tried with my insurance three years ago. And uh, no, they don't cover any of them. Just like Jardiance, and and they're, uh, like like Rob said, they're they're weight loss drugs too. Now I don't have a weight problem, eh? Maybe five pounds, but uh, like I say, that uh, from what I can understand, they still don't cover it. I was going to go down and check today. Down at my my husband worked in the government for thirty eight years, and he's on a government health program. And I was going to go down, but listen to Rob, I don't think they do cover it, because he was saying that he tried, and, and they still don't cover it, right? Okay. So- and I'm wondering, uh, you know, is there a chance that they would, because I don't understand it. I mean, uh, usually when you're you're a diabetic, the best thing to do is to prevent you from going on insulin and end up in not my hospital, eh?
1: Right. Yeah, and that's so exactly more, what Rob was saying. Yeah.
15: Yeah, it's more a drug that would uh, uh, prevent that kind of thing, and uh, probably uh, three or four days in a hospital. Uh, but they still won't cover it, you know. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, to even speak to them, I think they'll probably just try to. They'll deny that, well, that it does any good and all that, but it does. Now, I understand that the government program do cover it, but the trouble we got, of course, is we got our own plan, and because of that, they won't cover us, eh?
1: Yeah, and that was the very thing he was saying. You know, if this uh, continuous glucose monitoring uh, helps to prevent even one person from going to uh, the hospital, then it's worth it. Um, Yeah, that's right. And and as he said, the insurance companies won't cover it because they're covering the drugs or vice versa or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, um, uh, he was worried that it might be limited to certain income levels and that sort of thing, or people who don't have insurance, but he says it affects everyone.
15: Yeah, uh, I think what it is, uh, if if my husband hadn't worked at all, uh, we would probably uh, qualify under the government one, but you can't cover, they don't cover anybody that's got insurance. And uh, we've had insurance for 38 years. Even if they brought in the PharmaCare program, which they're talking about, it still wouldn't cover anything for us, eh? Because, like I said, my husband has been on. Now we're paying. We don't get this for nothing. We pay like six, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars uh, a year for or a month. I'm not even sure, Linda, to be honest. But we pay a good price for this uh, drug plan. But for whatever reason, I, do, I don't understand it, because my next step now is to be on insulin. I think why I'm scared of insulin. My sister, who's also diabetic, her sugars went down to 32 and the doctor told her if it goes below three, you become uh, a comatose, right? And it's kind of scared me. And uh, I know this is a good drug for me, but I don't think it's going to do much good. Uh, I was thinking about going down to the day to the insurance just to make sure, but I, I think it'll be a useless case because I did try three years ago. See, so Linda, this would be perfect for me because where I've had congestive heart failure, right? See, that's why he wants it down to a seven. Because where right, yeah. I got heart problems, I'm at a high risk of either a heart or a stroke. And uh, I would like uh, like to at least try it to see. And uh, I just thought probably if enough people brought it up, it might uh, encourage the companies to think in a different way because I think this probably wouldn't cost them a cent. If I ended up in the hospital bed, they still got to pay for the bed, right? So uh, I thought I'd call in this morning, seeing Rob did call in. And I'm sure there's other people could call in, with the same thing, too, eh?
1: All right, Minnie, we'll see what others have to say. I really appreciate your call.
15: Yes, and Linda's great talking to you.
1: Same to you. Bye bye. All right, bye bye. Uh, your thoughts? Give us a call. We're going to take a short break. And we're back. We're going to go now to Dan. You're on the air. Hi, Dan. Good morning, Linda.
16: How are you this morning? Great yourself. Excellent, excellent. Listen, Linda, a few callers back, uh, a man talking about the amount of garbage around a particular school here he was in. Uh, I agree with him 100% that there's a couple of schools far away here which have been in the news lately about rat infested and mice and all of that, which is basically Frank Roberts and Queenie's down behind it. It's worth your while to go up there with a video camera and just see the amount of garbage that is up there it's It's terrible oh, is that right in and around the the buildings absolutely terrible, so someone should get up there and just have a look at it the The amount of pizza boxes, leftover pizzas, Tim horton's subway you name it right where the students park it, it it it's It's horrendous. You know, you're talking about the generation being the clean. These crowd are supposed to be looking after environment for all of us old fellows that are going to be gone pretty soon. We never had this mess when we were grown up. We never. So what's the we took solution then? School in a in a in a paper bag or we took it in a lunch tin. So they're what's wrong with this generation. So what's the
1: solution? So the, the kids are actually, uh, by the sounds of this, the kids are going out and getting a bit of a lunch, and they're coming yeah. back, and then I guess they got nowhere to throw their garbage. Keep it in the
16: cars. Or are they afraid to bring mom and dad's car home with a bit of dirt in it so they can put it in a recyclable facility at their house? That's the problem. The problem also lies within the administration of those two schools. Someone should be going out there During these break areas and break times and noticing who's dumping the garbage and then taking the license plates of those students and directly calling their parents. And if their parents don't want to do nothing about it, well, their parents are no better off than them students that are creating that mess up there. You have to start with the problem, and the problem is the garbage that they're bringing. They're going off schools. It's up to them. They're allowed. They're they're supposed to be responsible teenagers because they're driving vehicles and so on and so forth. But be responsible to taking care of the place up there. I I, I ask you politely, send someone up there and take a video of the parking grounds around those two schools, and you'll wonder why there's mice and rats up there. Because there's a buffet of garbage up there. Something has to be done. Something has to be desperately done.
1: Does the school have a responsibility there in in raising awareness amongst its students and making sure that there are enough receptacles
16: and the like? They're there. They're empty. They throw the garbage around them. It, it, it's, it's beyond belief there's a dirty generation coming up, they don't really don't care they talk about the environment they talk oh we're going to save the world from this carbon footprint and so on and so forth, they can say that as much as they like but they ain't participating in that game their game is to not have it in my car, whether they own the car or their parents own the car and we're just going to throw it out because we got to bring that car home clean they have no idea what they're doing, but they blame everybody else except themselves. So the administration of those two schools need to get out and pinpoint those cars, those people in those cars, take down the license plate numbers and fine them for littering. They'll never do it again, especially if the parents got to pay the bill that's that's the problem right there you get rid of the garbage you get rid of the rest. dan i appreciate your call this morning thank you very much no problem linda i appreciate it and hopefully one of you guys in vocm or anyone else newscasters out there listening take a jump up there because i guarantee is not going to be cleaned up if someone hears this right now there's too much mess up there i have a video of it and i should send you a video it's disgusting.
1: Well, do send it. Send it to feedback feedback at VOCM.com. Perfect. I will. All
16: right. Thank All right, you. Then. Have a great afternoon. Take
1: care. You too. Bye bye. Uh, we are well. He's um, fired up. <laughs> we're going to go now to Dave. You're on the air. Uh, we are. Um, Hello, Dave. Oh, Turn down your radio, Dave.
17: Yes. Good morning. Hey,
1: how are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. You, Oh,
17: not, Oh, yeah. I got it off actually. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I am? All right, go ahead. Yeah, I was just talking about the garbage around schools and stuff, right? Yeah. I live, I live uh, in the Pierce, uh, Pearson Street, Torbay Road area, and there's a, there's a high school and a, a junior a junior school there on McDonald Drive, and then lunchtime, about 11.30, they all come, come across the Greenbelt to Torbay Road, and they head to Burger King. They head to the, the Irving, and they walk to McDonald's, and sometimes they go out to Coleman's. And when they're finished coming back, there's these uh, drink cups and other garbage just littered from the top of the McDonald's down to the Torbay to the Lights. there by the park area where they congregate before they go back to school. It's not every day. I see it because I'm living in the area. It's madness. You just drop it and go on. And there's garbage containers in the park area.
1: So it sounds like, and we've heard from three different areas of the province now, uh, about this type of problem, especially where uh, the schools are close to convenience stores and um, especially uh, fast food outlets.
17: Exactly. It's, it's unreal. I, I go over sometimes and I, I just stop and I look and... I said, boy, what's going on, right? These, You know, they're supposed to be responsible teenagers, right? And, and besides that, they jaywalk across the road when the light is always on. They run across. They don't wait for the lights. It's madness. I don't know. I was, uh, it, someone should just, from the school, work while to just go park there for a day and just watch.
1: Have you uh, lived in the area long?
17: I'm here 21 years.
1: And is it worse now than it used to be? Has it always been a problem?
17: Um, no, it's worse now, I think I really noticed that there's just litter with the, with the cops, right that I guess they get the, the refill when they leave the free refill at most of the places and come on just throw it. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know.
1: and That's why do you suppose it's grass. getting worse? Is it th- that they have more access to s- to this kind of thing or is there? Wh- why do you suppose it's getting worse?
17: I, I just don't know the mentality of three kids but not all of them now don't get me wrong, but there's just ones they they're in a, another another world they just don't think to just drop it and walk past right? Yeah, it's kind sad.
1: Dave, I'm glad you uh you weighed in on that. That's uh, three separate calls from three separate areas of the province. Uh, I'd like to hear what others have to say about it. Thanks so much. okay, take care. All Bye-bye. Uh, and we're up to news time now with Jolene Grimes. If you have anything to say on that or anything else you've heard this morning, give us a call.
5: Join Brian Medore weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. All right. I guess we're back. Um, our next guest is the MHA for Topsail Paradise.
1: He's also the, the um, uh, critic for health and community services. Paul Dinn. Hello. Good morning, Linda. How are you this morning? I'm not bad. I can do the weather for you if you'd like. All right. It's uh, sunny and beautiful <laughs> in CBS as always, correct?
18: It is. Tops of paradise. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> right on. Uh, Linda, no, I'm pulled over to the side of the road, actually, because I was listening to your show and I, I heard the, uh, the, the the mother call in about IVF as well as someone shortly after on, on the continuous glucose monitoring devices, so... Uh, Two two items that I've certainly been uh, lobbying for and raising for a number of years in the House of Assembly, and on behalf of those who are cool voices out there for this, but I just want to talk, offer a little bit of information on it. Um, the IVF uh, program, which is something the faces of fertility have lobbied for uh, for so long, and you will, will recall, uh, and I've, I presented the petitions and questions and, and like in the House. And uh, government came in with a program last uh, March, uh, offering five thousand dollars per per cycle, up to fifteen per year, for for mothers, uh, you know, those who are parents and couples who want to have families for services. And of course, you know the comment on that was it's it's, it's glad they did it, but far far too little in terms of the amount that uh, that's required to go away for these services. So so I took it to heart when when. Uh, you know, the approach of the lady who called in, you know, talking about Mother's Day. Mother's Day is is such a wonderful day for those who are mothers, but not so much for those who, who want to be mothers. So, uh, uh, we've asked for you a know, report. There's supposed to be a report done, an evaluation done uh, within the year, so that would have been March past. But I do understand there was not RFP issued, but uh, I think they, had, they pulled it back and have to reissue it. So, I'm really hopeful. Really hopeful that uh, that'll come back and that'll be positive in terms of uh, someone applying to to offer IVF in the province. There are a couple of doctors I've spoken with who who uh, work with the fertility clinic here in the province who are, who have quite a plan, in, you know, on paper to to offer this. So fingers crossed that the RF, RFP will uh, go through and will be successful. And we'll be able to uh, offer this service to, to uh, couples and, uh, who, who want to have, have a family.
1: It struck so, me uh, as Jennifer was yeah. talking, though, you know, how driven she was <clears throat> towards this goal that she wouldn't take no or wouldn't take the, uh, you know, a, a, a negative, I guess, outcome. She kept going and kept going to the extent that she actually traveled to Barbados. We've heard of people going to yeah. uh, Alberta and the like, but she actually did Alberta and then she went to a Barbados. I mean, not a lot of people are willing to go to those lengths uh, to conceive. But she did. Extraordinary. Uh, It should be much easier than that.
18: Oh, very much so. I mean, outside of PEI, we're the only province in in Canada that doesn't offer the service. And, of course, anyone PEI can just drive over the uh, federation bridge and obtain the services but i mean for those of us who have children i mean you know priceless right i wouldn't have it any other way i have three wonderful daughters and and you know the uh, i think she noted that one in six have have issues i would suspect that's higher because it's it's something not a lot of people talk about and uh, you know i'm really hopeful that that service will be available here in the province and it's it's a well it's a homegrown approach to our population uh, issues, you know, when when people can uh, can have families here in the province and if they do, then they're going to stay. So
1: I did want to go ahead. Sorry. And and the reality is, as, as Jennifer rightly pointed out as well, is that, you know, the cost of living and all of these types of things are forcing people to push those kinds of decision making in their lives a little bit further down the road. And of course, the reality is the physical reality is it becomes more difficult for a woman to conceive as she gets older. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and the decisions to go away and,
18: and take this, I mean, this is not something you fly up on a weekend and come back. You know, you have to go away when the time is right, and you have to stay there for, for a month of time in the in, in hotel or wherever, and you're away from your family, away from your family. So there's many other factors that play into this. But I do hope that, uh, that the RFP gets uh, issued. Uh, like I said, I understand it was went out once but uh, and I stand to be correct, but I saw that the topic was told by the ministers that would have to reissue it. So hopefully they'll have a solution to that because it's it's such a you know it's such a common thing for people here that they should have access to that and wherever other province is.
1: Now, another big um, situation that affects an awful lot of Newfoundlanders is this um, uh, the whole notion of uh, diabetes and diabetes maintenance. Um, and uh, we had uh, uh, that gentleman call in about, Rob, I believe his name was, uh, about yep. uh, continuous glucose monitoring and access to um, drugs like Ozempic, that kind of thing, and how yep. um, insurance companies are not necessarily always uh, willing to, um, pay for those things, and so it leaves a lot of people uh, at a disadvantage.
18: Yeah, and this is—I mean—and he was so right on this. So this is something that I've been uh, bringing into the house for—I've got to be three years or more—on um, these continuous glucose monitoring devices. And it's to me, it's so so common sense on it. Uh, you know, thirty percent of strokes, forty percent of heart attacks. Fifty percent of liver failure and required dialysis, seventy percent of non-traumatic uh, uh, amputations, and and it's leading cause of blindness. This is what diabetes factors into. And I've spoken to the paramedics and that. I mean, the calls, the calls for ambulances uh, would be reduced by thousands, and visits to years is by thousands. <coughs> Excuse me. And. You know, just the added cost. Uh, you know, the research I've done, we could save tens of millions of dollars in this province on a yearly basis, you know, by this. So after having so long on this, on behalf of those who call me, uh, government came in and uh, with this pilot. Now, I'm, I'm happy it's in the budget. I really am. But I'm disappointed uh, to the extent it has taken on. Uh, it has it's uh, it's about eight hundred. Two estimates is about eight hundred thousand to a million dollars is donated to, to, for this pilot, and it has some strict per- parameters around it. The details are out there, yet, so I'll leave that to the health uh, minister to get out there. But at the end of the day, you know, to me, this strikes as a no-brainer in terms of. Uh, Looking at the health of our province and making sure people stay healthy and stay out of emergency rooms and don't have these uh, debilitating uh, illnesses as a result of not managing their diabetes, and uh, you know, huge issues. And you know, we—I looked at other provinces that were doing. I think PEI, as part the crack the PEI I believe was one of the first ones in uh, Atlantic Canada to come in with a program on this. And you know. It's it's just a no brainer that that these devices are proven to work, and some of the programs they brought in is, you know, they would help fund individuals to the point of where their insurance cannot. Some some insurance covers some don't, but it's a, it's a real life saving, life altering, life changing uh, device that that people can have. And when you look at it, and people say, talk about diabetes. I mean, there's type one, type two. You know, in type one, you're you're essentially born with it and you have it. Uh, Just think about mothers of of children with diabetes and uh, what that does for them when they have uh, their child is not having to prick their fingers multiple times a day uh, they can go off to school. They can be monitored on a continuous basis. The parents can monitor them on their phone, and you get a uh, you know a greater image of, of uh, where their highs and lows are and get a better understanding of how to maintain your diabetes. This is, I mean, I hope this pilot happens soon. I hope they realize the positive effects of it, and I hope we have coming with an even larger program because it's certainly needed. It's certainly we've harked on for so long now. Uh, glad to see it, but we need to make more progress in this because, uh, as the gentleman said, it alters your life in such a positive way.
1: Do we know anything about when the pilot is going to come into effect or who it will, who will be included in it?
18: Well, I went through estimates, and that's obviously uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, we can ask some questions on that. Uh, you know, I know that uh, I was disappointed in the amount because they said they were taking some of the uh, sugar tax amount towards it. Of which sugar tax, I think, they're, they're estimating to be around 12 million in revenue. So, uh, so they said it was 800,000 to a million. So, uh, to me, to me, that's uh, you know that's a small pilot. So, hopefully, they'll get past that and, and do more. I did. Uh, I don't want to misquote it. Like I said, I'm on the side of the road. And don't have my file in front of it. But uh, there was an age, age requirement there. I'm not sure if it was under 18 or over 18. I'm going to be corrected on that. So obviously with a pilot, they'll have some parameters. But I, I did not get any sense of a timeline. But other than hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later.
1: Um. Paul Dean, I really appreciate your time uh, this uh, this morning. Thank you very much.
18: No, Linda, I appreciate what you do. Uh, like I said, I heard it uh, when I saw it and I said, no, I just want to call in and give a little bit more information. I don't know. I hope it was helpful and not more confusing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, The IVF and uh, continuous glucose monitoring uh, device, in my mind, are, are two no-brainers two things that we should have here, two things that will help our population, help our health care, and now and in the future. So hopefully uh, government's listening again, and uh, they'll start to move on this quicker. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All the best.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to uh, speak with Ron, and Daryl's waiting on the line. We are talking about garbage blowing around, and uh, some uh, people calling about uh, garbage in and around some high school areas where uh, students are accessing, I guess, uh, fast food restaurants and the like, and, and according to the callers, are just leaving the garbage and it's blowing around and attracting vermin and the like. But uh, just received this email. I thought I'd share it with you. I'm going to just surmise it, but uh, summarize it, sorry. Um, But this uh, gentleman says uh, there was a um, fast food restaurant that opened up in his area and he couldn't help but notice in a short while after it opened that there was a lot of trash that was ending up in a very deep ditch not far from that property. And it was just the wind taking a lot of stuff and just taking it and ending up in this ditch and people unable to chase that down and go into the ditch and get it out, that sort of thing. So he suggested to the manager um, that uh, during peak times when people are showing up, uh, either during their lunch breaks or what, whatever the case may be, that they have somebody there with a garbage picker, you know, that big pole, and pick up the garbage as it's sort of blowing away from the tables and the, those kinds of things outside. And uh, he said, voila, garbage situation fixed. Uh, anyway, it's uh, interesting, an interesting perspective there. We're going to go now to Ron. You're on the air. Yeah, Linda. Yes, sir. Hello.
19: Okay, yeah, it's around here. Uh, I wanted to talk about the transport chairs at the hospitals. Yeah. And I heard a gentleman phone in a little while ago about that. And uh, I know this is not going to solve everybody's problem, but I'll just give you what me and my brother do. My sister has mobility issues, uh, but she doesn't have a wheelchair. She doesn't have that extreme mobility issue. So what we do when we go with her is either we, we'll, myself, my other brother, we'll go in the car with her. So I'll go ahead, get the chair, bring it out, uh then he'll pull up in the car and she'll get out, get in the chair, and I'll take her, and my brother just drives away. Now, I know everybody doesn't have you know an extra support person like that, and it's not going to solve all the problems, but just thought I'd throw that one out there because I know when people need help. I know everybody doesn't have that help, but when you ask someone to help you in a case like that, usually people will step up and do what they, you know, to help you out, like, you know. So it's just one little tidbit there.
1: Oh, for sure. But sometimes when you're parking and you're getting your loved one out of the vehicle and into the doors and all that sort of thing and then situating them into one of these chairs and then getting this chair to wherever it needs to be so that it's not in other people's way and the like. Uh, And you've got a car meanwhile that's blocking traffic and so it's very difficult for some people, especially in an emergency type situation where, you know, all you're thinking about is oh my gosh, i got to get you to where you need to go uh, as opposed to uh, the logistics of how this is going to work once you get there <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean so yeah. I see in your case where you, you and your family are used to that and you you've got a plan worked out but I can see where it can be very problematic yeah. for somebody who hasn't thought it all through
19: yeah well in our case uh, it's a scheduled appointment so it's you know we we can develop that plan it's not like we're showing up with a pregnant woman or a, someone with a laceration or a broken bone or something like that so is You know, uh, but, you know, if you you got the time to plan it out, just saying, you know, you could have this other person as a support, part of your support, you know, and when my brother pulls up in the vehicle, I'm stood up there with the chair. So it eliminates a lot of stress and
1: wait time and all that stuff, too.
19: Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, like I said, I know everybody doesn't have that option is like, you know, but maybe, you know, sometimes a neighbor or another family member could help out if you ask for the help sometimes. Right. And I know some people have to drive in from out of town and things and, yeah, someone to get in the carriage here for two or three or four hours is another thing to them, so. Yeah,
1: it's a big ask you know. in some cases.
19: Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, well, that's all I had to say. Thanks yeah, no, much. I
1: appreciate that, Ron. Thank you very much.
19: Okay, bye-bye. Alrighty,
20: bye-bye. We're going to go now to Daryl and Gander. Hello, Daryl. Oh, hi, uh, Linda. How are you doing today? Good. That's Good. Uh, Linda, the I'm calling about today is uh, I'm going to talk about resources, so oil, natural gas. And uh, when you look at oil, uh, we're importing here now in Canada, I think every week, 130,000 barrels of oil every week uh, come from other nations, uh, oil uh, countries. <clears throat> so regardless or not, we're still importing oil, but my whole point here is that we could be doing more oil here off the coast of Newfoundland, Labrador and Canada, certainly, with uh, carbon emissions for 3% or less. And I don't understand why we're not tapping into this resource because, I mean, we, uh, the governments need money and, and uh, we're going in debt and debt more and more and more. And uh, not only oil, natural gas could be produced at 0% emissions. And natural gas in the next five or ten years is going to be the big thing. They're starting down in the U.S., starting developing uh, plants for uh, uh, natural gas, and that's going to be coming on stream because other countries producing oil in the next five or ten years is probably going to be starting running short. But natural gas alone, uh, in Labrador alone, is probably enough to, uh, to supply North America at least. So, how come we're not looking at the natural gas as zero emissions? And it could be good for the economy, good for the coffers of the government, good for uh, job creations, and the list goes on. But yet we're not not looking at that. We're looking at a lot of stuff like going green. Okay, fine. That's great. But we need those resources to generate income because... At the rate we're going now, people are just going to be starving, starving more and more and more with all these taxes um, coming on the 1st of July to taxing this, taxing that for all the environment. But you've got to have money coming in. If not, people are going to start starving and it's not going to be nothing for nobody. So we got to start looking at the oil. And it could be done 3% or less, as I I just uh, reiterated again. And natural gas is zero. And I don't know why we're not uh, looking at this avenue.
1: Uh, Interesting um, concept there, Uh, Daryl.
20: What do you think is a a solution there? Well, what the the solution is, is that, uh, I mean, when you look at, okay, we're we're importing oil 130,000 barrels a week. Here in canada so regardless of people like it or not the oil is still coming out of the ground don't matter what part of the world it is and uh, so like you know because a lot of people worry about the environment and so forth yes okay i i totally get that but long as the oil is being abstract i mean why are we sitting on a, a big resource that all other parts of the world are, are supplying oil to the rest of the world and making, uh, generating uh, huge profits, but yet we're sitting on resources and not doing nothing, and, and yet people are, uh, jobs are being lost, people like uh, go across Canada now, people are going hungry, they can't keep up with inflation, the list goes on and on. So we got to start looking at the oil, and it could be uh, per, uh, produced with 3% or less emissions. Uh, off the coast of New Flint, natural gas, we're not even looking at Labrador alone. Like I said, zero emission. So why don't the governments start looking at this and get the ball rolling this way? Because if we don't, we're going to fall behind the cue ball. And the United States, within the next 10 years, is going to be coming on more and more on stream with natural gas. And that probably will eventually replace oil. It's hard to say. We'll see as time goes on. but. Why aren't we looking about at this avenue, at natural gas? How come nobody's talking about it? And uh, like we're talking about a lot of other issues, and yes, a lot of issues got to be addressed. But you got to get to the core of how we could generate money. Once we start generating money like natural gas, and you get money into your coffers, you get everything booming, then everything else could fall into play. You could you could help uh, fix your health uh, care system, which is in dire straits, and uh, the health care, anything in general. And so, until we get to the source of what needs to be done to generate money, uh, we're we're heading down a, a bad road. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can't keep on spending, spending, spending money, and you're not taking it in. Eventually, at the bottom got to fall out of it all.
1: Uh, Daryl, I really appreciate your time this morning. We're going to try and get uh, Sheila on before the end of the show, but thanks so much.
20: All right. And that, that might be good uh, discussion for your uh, talk show at 4 p.m. Sure. I really appreciate this. Uh, Daryl, thank you. All right. Thank you for your time and all the best to you and your listening audience and staff at VOCM. All right.
1: Take care. You.
20: Bye-bye. And bye for now. Uh,
1: and uh, Sheila is on the air. Hi, Sheila.
21: Hi, Linda. I'm calling in response to a recent caller about the sensors for insulin-dependent diabetics, one, type 1, type 2. I've been an insulin-dependent diabetic for 48 years. Right now, I'm unable to work due to medical conditions besides the type 1 diabetes. I've had the opportunity to try the sensor. It's a miracle. It's amazing. Now, the government is paying over $300 a month for my test scripts and my lancets. Two of those sensors cost $186. Wow. There's a major savings on one person. Hmm. Yeah. And yet, I can't get no coverage for the sensors. The cheapest place for anyone out there listening is $91.97 at Walmart. I've been talking to Tom Osborne's office, their pilot project is for 18 and 19 years only. And why is it we can't get the sensors when it's such a better quality of life, which I've tried for the past two weeks, and my life has improved. now i got to turn around and go back to the pharmacy buy to get the strips get the lenses and everything Cost the taxpayers more money
1: uh, sheila you're raising an excellent point there we'll see how it all rolls out we're uh, completely out of time though but i'm glad you were able to get uh, your situation in before the end of the show and hopefully we'll be able to continue this conversation tomorrow really appreciate it sheila
21: uh, I've done my homework, my love, and I'm going to tell you. There's a lot of children out there suffering and parents and whatever, but even, even said to the, pharma, the government, make the people on income support go to the chief's pharmacy. There's got to be a way we can do this.
1: All right. Sheila, thank you.
21: Thank you, Linda. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: And we're completely out of time. We'll be back tomorrow, so do join us then. I'll be on uh, News Talk this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Uh, stay tuned for that. And we're up to news time now with Jolene Grimes.